0: And welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I am David Chen, and pro tip, usually when you're watching someone drink a child's urine, it's illegal. Joining me today is Devendra Hardwar. My breakfast drink was crab juice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And joining us also today, she is a co-host on the Extra Hot Great podcast, Tara Ariano. Tara,
1: Go get some mountain water. Let's drink that. <laughs> we all went drinks.
0: <laughs> we all went for the Mountain Dew as we, well. We all which... went for the Mountain Dew. Uh, of course, those are all references to the movie that we're going to be reviewing later today on this podcast, yeah. Minari, featuring Ingu Kang from the Hollywood Reporter. So look forward to that discussion. But of course, the question you're probably asking at this very moment is, "What have you done to Jeff Kanata And uh, the answer is, uh, I sadly, him. yeah, no, nope, that's not true um don't don't uh, get people confused tara and absorbed uh, his
2: powers that's how it works <laughs> yes
0: um jeff canada is sadly out this week um he had to go in for sudden and abrupt surgery which are are terms you do not want associated with surgery but he is doing fine uh here is what i'm authorized to share with you about jeff's condition Uh, he said that he had a granuloma on his vocal cords that had to be removed. You might have heard his voice cutting out a little bit on previous episodes. It was preventing his cords from closing together, which is required to make certain sounds. So he had originally had the surgery scheduled a little bit later. He had had to move up a little bit uh, due to exigent circumstances, but he is recovering really well. Uh, He's doing great. Feel free to wish him well if you're listening to this. Um, And we are very hopeful that he'll be back. Uh, and uh, sharing his limericks and other <laughs> observations with us, yeah, yeah in no you. time flat. So I'm sure I'm sure he'd appreciate some banked
2: up uh, cameo orders at some point, right? Like he yes. really got to use those vocal cords once he's got them up and <laughs> yeah. running again.
0: Yeah, maybe like wait a, wait a couple weeks before you do the cameos yeah, again. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, but other than Keep that, it in uh, feel feel free to wish him well. Uh, tweet at him at Jeff Canada Two Ns One T. Um, we really do miss him. We really are worried about him. Uh, but as far as I understand. He's doing just fine. He's recovering well. So uh, I am excited to welcome him back to the podcast. In the meantime, we have on the podcast today literally one of the most knowledgeable people about television on the planet. Stop. Tara Ariana. I'm so excited to have her join us to uh, navigate us through the first part of this episode as well as the After Dark this week, which you can support by going to patreon.com slash filmpodcast, where you can sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive After Darks. Um, again, that's patreon.com slash podcast. Thanks to everyone who's supporting us there. Um, but let's get into the show. We're going to be discussing uh, some Paramount Plus news. Uh, we got Golden Globe stuff we want to talk about, some what we've been watching. We're going to talk about weekly plugs And then we're going to conclude with our Minari review. You can find more episodes of the show at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. I'm realizing now that uh, I did not mention at the end of the episode that Beatty Zhang edited this episode. So I'm going to just throw that in at the beginning of the episode, you know, Um, because uh, correcting my problems of past self uh, right (laughs) now, because we recorded the show out of order. This is like a movie. We we don't record it uh, in chronological. So anyway, Big news this week. Uh, Paramount Plus announced in I think it was a three and a half hour long presentation. <laughs> well, not forever. Uh, what yeah. What is happening with Paramount Plus? And my sense, Tara, is that this is probably going to be one of the last ones of these things to go up, right. <laughs> like I don't I don't think there's going to be that many more three and a half hour long presentations announcing like a bold new streaming oh. service. It's also uh, an evolution of a previous thing too, right? Like it's weird
2: compared to all the other ones.
1: Yeah. The thing, yeah. yeah,
2: go ahead, Tara.
1: I, I mean, it, I it, I don't know who these are for, really. Like, even industry people are like, get on with it. <laughs> like, just send us a press release. Um, it, it, it's,
0: it's the it's the three and a half hour long streaming presentation version of this could have been an email, basically, right? One
1: hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> And the other thing is, like, as you say, how many more streaming platforms can the market support? Like, let's let's start seeing some consolidation here. It's enough already.
0: I started, I really feel like this is the, like, on Twitter, in my own kind of individual social bubble, mm-hmm. this is the one that people are starting to turn on. Like, this, this is the one that I'm seeing people be like, wow, another streaming service? Like, that's kind of what the reaction I am seeing to the Paramount Plus announcements are. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know if that's widespread or if that's indicative of their chances. Um,
1: I will say, anecdotally, in my bubble, <laughs> there were a, there were a couple of announcements on this where people were like, Ugh, now I have to get this one, too. And and yeah, and I yeah, will tell yeah. you what they were when we get to them. But uh, More
2: so uh, than something like Peacock, which does exist yes. and has launched. And literally yeah. everybody has forgotten about it. See, other than I, I, by the I cannot yeah. fault Peacock because I don't need I to. I also love making Dave say Peacock every episode. <laughs> I cannot but again,
1: fault. like same with Peacock like Peacock is already it's yeah. it's like Hulu's cousin roll them yeah. up like they don't yeah. need just to be two separate things. <laughs> uh,
0: again, I am a fan of Peacock because I think that uh, <laughs> it's, it's 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 fun to say. And also uh, it's ad supported like I can just watch it for free. And that's not that, everything. I, not everything. Not everything. Okay, yeah. that's true, but but I can watch some things for free. You can and it's watch hard, some things for free. It's it's hard for me to hate a streaming service that I don't need to pay money for. You know, like it's just yeah, sure, It's sure, not sure. it's not impossible, but it's hard. But unless you um, want to see the new Say by the Bell,
2: which is fantastic, yeah, and, uh, yeah, it's, it yeah. is very good.
0: Yeah. Okay, and and that you have to pay money for is that what you're saying, Jindra. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, that sucks. Okay, Paramount Plus. So what even is Paramount Plus? This is basically the the SAT analogy would be. HBO Max is to HBO as Paramount Plus is to CBS All Access? Yes, is that yes, is that a good, sure. pretty pretty decent analogy? Basically, uh, it's,
1: Sort yeah. of. I mean, it, like CBS All Access is going to not exist after this week. Yes. So
0: Paramount yeah. Plus
1: is going to replace it.
0: HBO Max is to HBO Go, then. How about that? Or yes. HBO Now, right? So sorry, yes. I missed I miss that part. But yeah, it's basically, this is going to be the thing that replaces CBS. The thing right. that's so confusing for me is why do they think Paramount plus or paramount has better brand recognition or loyalty than cbs yeah. like i don't who, who, get it who
2: did the joke that was just like the plus is for something more or something you want right yeah i don't even want the <laughs> paramount well like <laughs> i mean i will why say why do you want paramount plus <laughs>
1: and my my extra hot great co-host and husband Dave, has also said, like Paramount already means the top. So Paramount Plus is an extremely stupid name. Like, yeah, this is like Pinnacle plus. like it's it it just does not make sense on a yeah. on a language level,
0: yeah. so, uh, they announced a bunch of stuff. Uh, that and apparently, like, I guess if I, if I'm using CBS All Access, which I do right now, it's just gonna the app will just transform into Paramount Plus, is my guess, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's like five dollars for ad supported, ten dollars a month for uh for yep. non ad supported. And
2: I, I I will admit, I gladly pay for ad like ad free CBS All Access based same. on all the stuff I watch.
0: Yeah, same. So, okay, so all that, three of us, despite it. yeah, despite us hating on it. <laughs> We're all subscribed in some way or another. It does make well, CBS uh, better. So I can't hate that too much. Yeah, yeah. You can't All hate of that. us
1: also can write it off, I assume. And I assume mm. we are.
0: What? I don't know how that okay. works. No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so what are some of the major announcements, Tara, about Paramount Plus? Like, what What is notable and or exciting to you about Paramount Plus that's on the way?
1: Well, there are a bunch that will be exciting for people that are younger than me like a revival of Inside Amy Schumer is coming back as a series of specials rugrats for people that are much younger than me <laughs> for people who are much older than me yellowstone is getting a second spin-off there already was going to be one spin-off believe it or not another one is coming um Then, in addition to that, the seventh and apparently just confirmed final season of Younger is coming How? to Paramount Plus. Poor Younger.
2: How did that show stick around so long? It's such been a weird everywhere. It started
1: wow. like I don't even remember where it started, but it's been <laughs> on TV Land. It's been on like Nickelodeon. It's been every friggin' where, and now it's going to end its run on Paramount Plus. Which fine. Another spinoff of Drag Race, RuPaul's Drag Race, they're going to do a singing competition show, which, and, uh, sure, why not? Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, they're doing a whole bunch of series adaptations of movies in the Paramount library, which makes sense. They own this IP already. So the ones that were already announced were Grease, sure. Sure um the godfather i'm not 100 percent sure what this the form of this will yeah. take but this is the one that army hammer was in, and now it's probably not <laughs> going to be anymore <laughs> bye-bye um but then they this or last week they announced they were also going to do series adaptations of fatal attraction flash dance the italian job love story and the parallax view Huh. Things yeah.
0: that everyone associates with Paramount. Well, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm being facetious because I don't think people have any sense that these all fit under the same banner in any way. Sure. Not at yeah. all.
1: I mean, yeah. unless it's Disney, like who knows what studio released what movie, honestly?
0: Yeah, I it's think that's weird. right.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, you know, okay. they own it, so they might as well do something with it. And like Flash Dance, I get it. Like, that's, I can see making that into a series for sure. Yeah. Fatal Attraction, less sure how that's going to work. <laughs> it seems like. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's an <laughs> anthology series where it's a different affair every season. I don't know. Isn't, isn't why am I writing very, like, this for them?
0: American so Fatal job. Attraction, yeah. Isn't you like the modern Fatal Attraction? I don't know yeah. anything yes. about yeah. that series, but isn't like you the Netflix, like on Netflix now, like the modern Fatal Attraction? So it's actually
1: if, better. You is so good. So, yeah. So if, so if trashy, that show is
0: able it's, to it's exist, good. then then certainly Fatal Attraction can, You're right. right?
1: You're right. For sure. So, but the Italian job it's like that's an. It was a very action heavy. <laughs> show like yeah. you know they tried to do a born show they took with that tread what is treadstone. it called tread
0: treadstone thank yeah. you
1: and that tanked so i don't know if they are just gonna like throw money at the italian job to make it work as a series like that's, luck, that's a I pretty easy
2: concept just like cool people cool cars stealing yeah. stuff every get, week a is a heist question mark every, right yeah. give me a heist yeah. a week sure uh, yes. You know, I feel like every time we say Paramount Plus, I just think like between the three of us, five minutes of brainstorming could get them a better name. P-Mount <laughs> Plus. <laughs> but
1: the one and the one that the, the one that's coming the soonest that I think the, and else just reveal this is the one that the most people that I am it, social media or real life friends with are the most excited about is the reunion of this first, the very first season of MTV's The Real World, which is oh, going yeah. to be called The Real World Homecoming: Colon, New York, where they're bringing the, that original cast back together in the original loft in Soho for a limited series of—I uh, oh, forget—six or seven episodes. Uh,
0: yeah. What what excites you about this, Tara?
1: Um, I'm in Gen X. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> this was, this was my show. The original series. That was
0: series golden a- TV back in, like back
2: in the nineties. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The original series aired and was filmed in 1992. And so it like basically kicked off the reality TV genre. And when you watch it now, which I did last weekend, all 13 episodes, cause they are so short and they are on Paramount plus. If you subscribe, <laughs> you can watch them too. Um, like, no one knew what they were doing, including the producers in some cases. Like, they just all seem so innocent. No one is jaded to the forms or the tropes or the, you know, reality TV acting styles that we are all so, you know, sick of and inured to now. And so it just really seems like a different kind of animal. And so I've I will reveal I've seen the premiere of the revival. And so they are obviously a little more polished now because it's impossible not to be but it's still really interesting to see where they are in life now and like kind of what their agendas are coming back into this like what they want to get out of it and so that premieres this week it comes on thursday
0: uh so that's the real world homecoming um did you ever watch the
2: real world dave
0: I I did not. He's too no. young. I've never watched the no, real world. No, it was it, it was there. Like the when years we were younger teenagers. than me,
2: by the way, Tara. So. Uh,
1: okay, well <laughs> he <laughs> seems just old a in bit. his heart.
2: Uh, I'm <laughs> definitely old and crotchety. but no, it existed. We were teenagers when the real world was happening and spinning up. Maybe not ninety two, but the late nineties. And I remember just being a na- like that was a show that really made me want to think, like, I cannot wait till I grow up. <laughs> you know, and be an adult Aww. and just do these weird things that everybody's doing. Like it really got that's the one that opened me up to like uh, adulthood, I guess, in so many ways. Yeah, because well, it
1: they, was real. And they used to marathon world. them all the time. Like yeah. I know there were yeah. there were weekends where they would just like start at the beginning and just like air them mm-hmm. all of the seasons like back to back to back to back to back. So
0: couple of other announcements uh that uh are coming to paramount plus one is uh i think you you may have mentioned the fraser revival already but in case I not didn't, that, yeah, i was ho- yeah. holding
1: that we, one we, back we need that's... to
2: carve out some time to this because uh this is <laughs> tremendous news amazing news you know it's really battery. yeah this
1: was the one that's they've been teasing this for i feel like at least over a year like they've been yeah, dancing yeah. around this one for a long long time and now it's finally actually happening
0: and mm-hmm. uh the Fraser's a show I enjoyed. Uh, Tara, I'm aware of your love of the show. Davindra, it sounds sure. like you're a big fan I'm as well.
2: Absolutely in love. And it's also, it is the show that is just on at night in my house as we <laughs> yeah. like go to bed. Mm-hmm. Like it is a perfect, like wind down show. Yep. It's never too it's never too stressful. I love the characters. I love the writing. It's very sweet. Like I just love everything about it. It is so comforting. So to have a revival, you know, I, I'm worried about what will happen. But I'm I'm excited because I want to see these folks back. No matter what you think of Kelsey Grammer, because I've learned over time that like, he's not that great. But no, I love the characters. Yeah.
0: Uh, the other thing that I want to mention. Well, actually, uh, Davindra, you wanted to mention the Avatar as well, right?
2: Oh man, yeah. Like this is this is wild. What is happening? Because there's so much drama. Behind this, I don't know if we talked about this, but the uh, the Avatar: The Last Airbender uh, adaptation that's going to Netflix, um, the original creators of the show, uh, bounced. Like they <laughs> left that project. Um, I believe it was earlier this year because they could not like latch on to uh, what they were doing to uh, what Netflix was doing creatively. Like it just was not the show. They were trying to make and there were rumors going around that they were trying to make it more mature because it's initially it's a show about kids with, you know, special airbending powers and they just were not down with it. So they left and now they're forming this thing that's just going to be dedicated to producing stuff for this universe. It's astounding because I think if there's any franchise that has the potential to be a Star Wars or something, right, it is Avatar and we are watching them construct Lucasfilm in real time. And I'm very excited about this because airbender, fantastic uh, legend of Korra, incredible show. Um, and they announced that they they are going to be working on a theatrical movie that's going to be coming soon, a theatrical feature film. So it is so exciting. Cause I was worried about the Netflix thing being like, Oh my God, yet another crappy live action adaptation of this wonderful property. And I love that it'll have a chance to live and breathe. Like they'll have short form stuff. They'll have TV shows um they're it's so rich like they can do so much with this world and i can imagine like these the creators who you know made this thing that is so uh especially like now that avatar and cora have been on netflix has like been it's more popular it's in the zeitgeist people are into it i am so happy for them i really want them to like be able to make their own thing on their terms so yeah that's exciting like this and is
1: good the news. fact that it's yeah. happening here means potentially crossover with fraser
0: oh buddy oh yeah 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 that would which be... uh, which kind of bender do you think fraser is <laughs> like what elemental bender do you think he is fire firebender a yeah, firebender he's, yeah he's not <laughs>
2: um not fire enough um but i mean, I mean he's listen. probably
1: an airbender too he's on the radio right he's on the
3: radio <laughs> the like
2: he would be i would love to see him because jay i don't know if you realize this dave but the cast of these shows Is insane. And J.K. Simmons is a major character of The Legend of Korra. He's the son of Aang. And I can just imagine a fun (laughs) Avatar episode with both J.K. Simmons and Kelsey Grammer. Come on, give it to me.
0: That would yeah. be fun. That would be fun. Yeah. So the the news, by the way, just to uh, put a, put a fine point on it is that, uh, Nickelodeon, uh, will launch a new production studio dedicated to expanding the avatar universe. Yeah. So the you think this is going to be the next Lucasfilm? We will see if that comes to pass. I, I mean, possible. I hope
2: so because I also podcasted about legend of Korra when it was airing and Nickelodeon did not treat that show very well. Like they pushed that thing yeah. to the internet. They didn't know how to market it. So it is funny how like things have come back around. And I think, um, um, the network and paramount realize like oh if this is hot we should really do something with this now and not let netflix take it and ruin it
0: uh yeah not after what uh, m night did to it right uh the oh, man. other announcement that is relevant is th- there was a lot of questions i think about what Paramount Plus would do to f- Paramount films mm-hmm. that were destined for theaters this last year. Um, it did, in fact, sell some films to streamers, right? Uh, I think, I want to say Lovebirds was a Paramount movie, right, that sold and then became streaming on Netflix. Sure. Um, and so there's a question, of like, okay, like, are they going to pull a uh, Warner Brothers slash HBO Max and make movies like Top Gun or Quiet Place 2 or Mission Impossible 7 available on Paramount Plus like right, right at theatrical launch? Big question. And the answer is no. It's not going to do that. Uh, but it has announced that there will be a 35 to 45 day window after movies premiere uh, in theaters, after which they will be available on uh, Paramount Plus. So that's actually kind of a big deal, I think. If this does happen for these movies, A Quiet Place 2, Mission Impossible 7, and Top Gun Maverick. Can you imagine, uh, like, Mission Impossible 7 opens, and then literally six weeks later, you can watch it on Paramount+. Plus. I would be pretty psyched for that. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, we'll see if and how that plays out. But uh, that's currently their plan right now. And uh, that alone makes the service interesting to me. But I do agree with Tara. This is too many services. Um, (laughs) Too many many services.
1: Consolidate. It's enough already.
0: The thing about the services, too, that I feel um, is that, like, many of them don't feel like they have a strong identity. You know, like, HBO used to have a strong identity, right? Like, premium... Uh, content the home box office you can't sure, see sure. it anywhere else and then they, they basically like are actively trying to jettison that that listen identity. hbo they're, they're, to the
2: max to yeah, the they're, max
0: they're trying to do like be everything and every you know to everyone and uh you know people can decide how effective that is uh and then you know uh, uh, like but the thing about hbo max is it just felt so scattered in terms of the different stuff that was it's like big bang sure. theory and friends but also sopranos and uh i know this much is true and it's like, and ghibli movies what yeah, do these yeah. things have in common? i don't even get why i'm not gonna you know, complain
2: about too many choices like that seems like i'm the not thing. either yeah they, yeah
0: they have a
1: really great library i mean they have so many british comedies too that like i didn't even know about they hbo max i'm not gonna bitch about yeah but like right. this, HBO Max.
2: you just should, want HBO focus it's, yeah, yeah.
1: it's it's a great value but something like this when you're looking at this is like okay this is a lot of stuff but then on top of this i'm supposed to also pay for showtime which is also yeah. viacom come yeah, on yeah roll
2: it in <laughs> if, you, if you're gonna do it go all the way and i do like yes. that HBO max is bringing in a lot of cinemax stuff which yes. you used to have to pay for separately so yeah shows like banshee and the nick the nick you can finally watch it i don't know if you saw any of the nick dave but the uh it's that show is so astounding and it's it really is great. now just up there for people to grab. So yeah, if you're gonna and warrior do too, things, I think you said. and warrior yeah yeah, warrior. yeah, yeah.
0: Speaking of streaming shout-outs, I also want to give give a shout out to review the Andy Daly Show. Just hit CBS All Access, aka Paramount Plus, this week, um, and that is one of the most brilliant comedy shows of oh, all time. Would review recommend. revival.
2: Oh boy,
0: yeah, yeah. my mm-hmm. fingers can make it happen. It's time to thank one of our sponsors this week, Raycon Wireless Earbuds. Whether you're catching up on your favorite news podcast, binging an audiobook, or powering through your workout with a pumped-up playlist, a pair of Raycons in your ears can make all the difference. True story, I gave my dad a pair of Raycon Wireless Earbuds as a gift. He is loving them. One of the benefits of Raycon Wireless Earbuds is there's no dangling wires or stems to get in your way. Uh, They come in a variety of stylish colors, but always with a comfortable in-ear fit for a more discreet look. Uh, My dad likes watching TV and movies after he gets out of the shower, before he goes to bed, and he doesn't like putting on like the -the over-the-head earphones, you know, because they, they mess up your hair and such. Raycon earbuds don't do that. They're built to perform anywhere and anytime with water and sweat resistant construction and Bluetooth that pairs quickly and seamlessly. And with enough battery for six hours of playtime, you can unplug for a while. The best part is that Raycon makes great sound accessible to everyone with wireless earbuds starting at half the price of other premium audio brands. So Raycon is offering 15% off all their products for listeners of this podcast. And here's what you got to do to get it. Go to buyraycon.com slash filmcast. That's it. You'll get 15% off your entire Raycon order. So feel free to grab a pair and a spare. That's 15% off at buyraycon.com slash the word filmcast. That's buyraycon.com slash filmcast. All right, let's get to what we've been watching this week. And this week... We got to talk about the Golden Globes, guys. Now, must I have, abs- I have absolutely no respect for the Golden Globes as an institution or an artistic uh-huh. endeavor? Like, I, I think the I, I refuse to take the actual awards and who received them seriously at all.
2: But you did watch the whole thing, and then I, I, I created I, a Twitter
0: Spaces after I saw. It's it's true. I did watch. You're, you're really Golden out there. Beca- because it is interest, it is interesting as a marketing exercise, yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like people say, like, oh, the uh, Golden Globes impact the Academy Awards, and then like, w- w- if a movie wins an Academy Award, then that can drive box office. So it actually does theoretically have indirect consequences. Uh, so I watched most of the awards, mm-hmm. the Golden Globes, and uh, this was. A catastrophe on, on, on a scale that I have rarely seen on broadcast television before. Now, I, I had watched the Emmys uh, a few months ago, and I actually thought it was mildly enjoyable. Uh, Tara, you, did you watch the Emmys? Do You watch Emmys? Nope. Okay, you don't. You don't watch. It. Okay, so the Emmys were actually mildly enjoyable. They had this fun thing where they, like, for every category, they would drive an Emmy out to the contestant's uh, house. In like and they're wearing like a biohazard suit and like then if you got the Emmy then the person would hand it to you and if you didn't they would just like abscond and drive away and that's kind of it's kind of fun they like really added a little bit of a, a, a of edge to it with the Golden Globes I mean the best summary of this event was written by Rachel Handler over at Vulture she wrote an article that is just absolutely brilliant called the Golden Globes were an edge of your seat psychological thriller <laughs> and. Uh, I, I mean, I, I basically want to read the entire article to you. I'm not going to do that, but uh, and I might read like a paragraph or two because it's so amazing, this article that she wrote. Uh, but the problem started right from the beginning. Here, I'll, I'll, I'll read this paragraph here. He says, quote, um, the sheer, the sense of sheer lawlessness began almost immediately when winner Daniel Kaluuya began giving a speech on mute as someone yeah. sucked in his breath and said, Ooh, I wish I could hear him. Um, presenter Laura Dern, whose long partnership with David Lynch has taught her how to thrive in the midst of phantasmagoric placed her glasses calmly on top of her eyes and said, as you can see, we have a bad connection only for Kaluya to pop back in looking vaguely insulted. You did me dirty. He said, implying that the HFPA we whom Sasha Baron Cohen later described almost entirely accurately as all white might have added out for him. That moment established the most important components of any good thriller a motive, and a villain. And it soon became clear that this villain had many more tricks up its sleeve, namely public psychological torture. Before each category was announced, the nominees were forced into smaller Zoom breakout rooms to make small talk amongst themselves while being filmed and broadcast around the world, creating a rapidly disintegrating illusion of intimacy upon the global stage. Not only was this part of the show never explained or directly referred to, it didn't even occur during the actual show, just during the lead-ins to commercial breaks. We couldn't even really make out what the celebrities nervously chattered about. We could only viscerally experience their horror and dysfunction. End quote. So let me let me describe, like, just to explain what's happening. Right, the, what happened was most of the people were in Zoom, like connected to the show via Zoom, and they were staying at home. So the biggest pleasure of the Golden Globes this year is you're getting to see celebrities' living rooms, and that's interesting, right? But aside from that, what they would do is uh, they would basically put these people in rooms and allow them to interact with each other. And then during the lead out to commercial, it would cut to these Zoom chats just in the middle with of no that contact. It would just be like, yeah. okay, here's what they're talking about. And you have, they, you have no idea what they're saying, what they're talking about. They're hanging out, maybe talking about someone's cat. And it's just like literally you're randomly dropped into this conversation before you go to commercial. <laughs> it was the most disorienting and you feel bad for these people. You feel bad for oh, these yeah, celebrities yeah. cuz it's like uh, you it's clear that they don't understand that they're being broadcast That's pretty at wild. random times. I you know, I my
2: when we do the Engadget podcast, we have a whole video team behind us cuz we're live streaming it now. And my, our video team knows how to manage that stuff. You know, like fade fade in. Like when you're bringing in a new thing or going to a new scene or something. It seems like there there is yeah, I guess lawlessness is the best word. Just insanity going on here.
0: Cu- couple of other things about the show to to mention, right? One is that uh, the, it, it's painful when you're watching an award show and they start playing people off, right? Like it's just like, ooh, that's awkward. Like I, I would, hate, it's it's tough enough to get on the stage in front of thousands of people and give a speech in front of thousands of people. Let alone when an orchestra comes in. And just starts playing. It's just like, wow, I can't imagine. Whatever you feel about that emotion, right? Whatever you feel about that situation and how uncomfortable and awkward and painful it is, that feeling is multiplied 10x when the person is on Zoom and they're playing them off while they're on Zoom. It's just like you're watching Jillian Anderson give a speech and then literally while she's on Zoom, they start blasting this orchestral music. It's just like wow this is this is so so painful so painful um and then the other brilliant thing about this is that uh they keep the cameras on all the contestants the entire night the entire night. so uh oh, that that is so hard
2: when you're the, on the team like there there's so much anxiety with that well, yeah.
0: well the the benefit of this is like they try to like cut it like they would a normal award show right so you would have like Oh, I'm so grateful to Anya Taylor-Joy from the Queen's Gambit. And then you'd cut to her, right? If you were in a live award show, you would cut to her in the audience. Uh But because there is no audience, you're cutting to them on Zoom. So they're asking everyone, keep your Zooms going the whole night. And so this leads to an excruciating process whereby... Hey, so, so-and-so won this category. You are then forced to watch all four other contestants try to be polite during the speech. It is... is <laughs> that, that is so- my favorite part of any award show, by the way. is like when the camera's on the losers, so... Yeah, you know, but, but usually it's on the losers for like two seconds. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not on them for the entire three hour broadcast. They just yeah, didn't know what they were doing. Switch
1: it to the mode where the speaker sticks up for the screen. Yeah. Oh my god, that was, what,
0: that was what was painful. Was like you could see, it was very obvious that they were using Zoom because you could see the little icon at the bottom mm-hmm, left corner that mm-hmm. says their name. Um, they they couldn't, even crop so that out they couldn't even crop that out. They couldn't even crop that out amazing amazing
2: this all makes me sound like it makes it sound like we really need an award show that's produced by eric andre and his crew just like really lean into the pure
0: the sheer craziness going on oh we already got it we already got it It happened last night we we got it last night um now i'm sad i missed it
1: i'll say Uh, this about the whole like we're doing everything on zoom like they already tried this in i'll say the most depressing phrase early pandemic when they tried to like rush a whole bunch of sitcoms to air mm-hmm. that no one wanted to watch because like we're living it this is not fun or funny but it was all like in the, you know taking place on on zoom calls and it's like this is <laughs> we no one needs a reminder of what every day is like and that is also true in my opinion of an award show like yes Putting putting an award show on Zoom, I I cannot imagine anything more fucking depressing. And I will say, even though I did not watch the show, I did see the like all of the coverage afterwards of like, look at so and so in their glam squad. It's like fuck you. <laughs> like I know they don't keep the dress and the jewelry and everything, but it's like the idea of making people come to your house and put on fucking face shields so that they can do your makeup and hair so that you can sit on a Zoom call, go straight to hell, Anya Taylor-Joy. I'm happy for your <laughs> award, but you're a fucking pig. Sorry. Like, that's <laughs> disgusting.
0: Wow. Okay. All right.
1: This is disgusting. <laughs> this shouldn't happen. It's gross. Like,
2: I mean, sorry. do you, is that worse? Or is that bad? Or is Jason is just like, I saw the photos and imagery of him, just like him in his like
0: hoodie. Like yes, his, uh, That's what you should do if city. you have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Thanks for the I, mean, word, I
2: guess. I don't know. Apparently,
0: apparently, he's like filming Ted Lasso season two, and yeah, he's yeah. like, you know, eight, you know, 10 hours ahead of us, and that's why he was. And also, the guy went through a divorce this year, right? Or yeah, a separation yeah. or whatever. So, you know, you got to go easy on Jason Sudeikis, But
1: Be normal. Uh, I, I That was like, as soon as I saw those pictures, like, yes, that's what you should do <laughs> if you're sitting in your house. Like, oh,
0: man. sitting I think in your house in an
1: evening gown is disgusting. Sorry. I think yeah. that's
0: more memorable for sure. Like, if yeah. you. If if you get to see a glimpse of people's real lives, I think that's more memorable. Um, But again, I just—I promise this is the last portion of this this essay I'll read, but it's just so brilliant. uh, Rachel Handel writes about the Zoom call. She says, quote, This portion of the broadcast served three functions. One, to force each celebrity to experience ego death which I think ultimately will be good in character building for them. Two, to trigger the television audience sitting at home by reminding them that in the next 8 to 12 hours, they too would be forced to some kind of Zoom breakout room, except not with Al Pacino. And three, to subsequently destroy the very concept of celebrity itself, tearing down the already thin veneer between the famous and the non-famous and forcing us all to confront one another on the great battlefield of the human experience. Quote. So that is what... Hosting a award show via Zoom provided for us all. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I will say one other thing, which is despite the which the the evening was not only a technological catastrophe but also uh, a ratings disaster. I think it was like around five million people watched that uh, the the broadcast, which is like wow it was like yeah, you know. I've had YouTube videos scratch that number, you know, like it's just, it's just not very, That's not rough. very good. Uh, it's, it's rough. And, uh, I, so I'm, I, on the one hand, I'm actually glad that it didn't go well. Cause it's like, it should serve as a warning to never do anything like this again. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that, uh, it was nice to see, uh, lee isaac chung director of Minari, and chloe zhao win in their respective categories nomadland won uh, chloe zhao won for best director again the awards are artistically bankrupt and mean absolutely nothing but it means that uh chloe zhao got to have some screen time and be celebrated as uh a uh, an asian woman director which is not something I think that has ever happened before, at yeah. least not in my lifetime. And so, yeah, I read just, that
1: she was the first woman of color ever to win a golden yeah. globe for director.
0: So that's, um, that, you know, uh, and again, it's not nothing. Uh, yeah, the the yeah. awards are completely meaningless, but the fact that she got to have uh FaceTime, you know, on the show and give a speech and everything like that, that's lovely. And so I am grateful to uh, the show for that. And it's and worth pointing out here. It, like you keep saying the words
2: are meaningless. And they I, I want to shout out like the great LA Times, you know, report about the inner workings of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association of like, yeah, but this is a cadre of it's an all-white group of people from random publications all over the world who have basically come up with this weird system to just uh con very nice getaways. You know, from people like mm-hmm. it's all about a lot of perks for them. And I think it really does explain a lot of the uh, just very random choices we see uh, that pop up for nominations for the Golden Globe. Right. Like uh, and there's part, you think of it as uh-huh. a
1: voting body and there's like hardly yes. any of them.
2: There's like Exactly. 40 or something that's like the thing that's what's really Uh, weird here and i just want to point out like i'm not joking
0: more more people have Uh stopped more people have stopped listening to the slash film cast since the since hitting play on this episode (laughs) then vote in the hfpa um but anyway most likely <laughs> go ahead David. I, I just want to say i'm
2: shocked that see is movie music which uh the the movie is called music which is about an autistic girl i believe like discovering the world through music i have not seen it yet but everything i've seen about this movie is just like it it, it is torture and they eviscerate the film so it is astounding to see like that show up in in a best picture nomination for anything uh yeah. I, it looks I like uh, it is. looks
0: like uh, simple jack the movie from uh, Tropic Thunder the fake movie that um <laughs> yeah. that uh, Ben Stiller is very in the movie that, yeah. It's it's Apparently, like yeah. it's like a very kind of Hollywood version of uh autism and uh and has been criticized uh you know e- extremely heavily. So uh but so Divindra, yes, the LA Times work on the HFBI uh and their corruption is something that should be acknowledged. Yeah. And but it's just going to keep they, happening, right? Nothing will stop them at this point. Well, also they are um, they are notoriously corrupt. Like the, the yeah. thing is, yes, the LA Times, yes, it's a great piece, but also in 2011, <laughs> Ricky Gervais said the following from stage. He says, "I'd like to crush this ridiculous rumor that the only reason the tourists was nominated was so that the foreign press could hang out with Johnny Depp and Angelina Jolie. That was not the only reason." They also accepted bribes. End quote. I mean, th- this is an organization where it's 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 been made fun of how corrupt they are. Right, and, right, right. Um, so, but I- I'm asking, what do we
2: what do we do about it, guys? Like, we're sitting around, we're talking about this <laughs> award show. You sat and watched it, Dave. And It's just like. What do we do to stop this insanity or does it not matter? Does the like residual benefit of Chloe Zhao getting
0: like a known award make up for it? Well, yeah, again, I I just consider it a, well, I consider two components of it. Number one, as a marketing exercise for the award circuit, right? And like, you know, people, things that do well at the Golden Globes can be described as having like momentum. It really comes down to the fact that they have a TV license, right? And they, it's broadcast on NBC and that's why it's a bigger deal than, let's say, the Independent Spirit Awards. Um, But, and then the second thing is just like as a television event, right? Like, what is it like to watch the Eagle? Like, how is it enjoyable as a broadcast? And I think just, uh, the last year I feel like has shown us that the, the whole concept of award shows need retooling completely. Like, it's it's just such an odd thing. Award shows in general, right? Is basically, we're going to watch these people thank each other and, uh, and, and talk about how good each other are. And, the vast majority of the night is spent with people giving speeches, looking really harried and flummoxed, listing off names. You have no idea who these people are. That's like that's the majority of the time spent watching these shows. It's very odd. Tara, you have fallen out of love with award shows. What tell me about that? Why you used to watch them, you used to be really to them, and you don't you no longer. What's up with that?
1: Yeah, I used to be really, really into award shows. I used to have a website called Fame Tracker where we like went hard for especially the Oscars, but you know, all of the awards did a lot of coverage of them. And then, uh, one year, and I don't even remember what year it was. I just did not watch the Oscars and I never have watched an award show since I just fell (laughs) out of the habit of it. Um, but it's true. Like, like Devinder said, uh, or you, whichever one of you brought up the bribe, the bribe comment, like it's, Mm -hmm. it's a known fact. Like the HFPA is basically like the IOC of the entertainment world, like It's notoriously corrupt. This has been known. And the, you know, the story that came out this year of like, oh yeah, and also there is not one black member in the entire organization on top of everything else we already know about why it's bad is like yet another stain. So, you know, defund the HFPA in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) like It should not have an awards show that gets broadcast on TV. Like, you know, it it is true that getting one can really boost a, a a filmmaker's career, and I certainly hope that it does for Chloe Zhao and Lee Isaac Chung and you know other people who would otherwise be underdogs. Like that's that's a huge deal for someone who is up and coming in their career because it does mean something when you go into a meeting to be able to say I want a Golden Globe. Like, right, right. However. however little it means, like it's still, yeah, yeah, it's still a credit that, that could help get your next movie made. Like that's not nothing, but should it be mm, mm. probably not? You know, like yeah. So There's
0: a lot of people saying just tear the whole thing down, start 100%. from scratch. Will yeah. it corrupt like, one of the one of the winners in their like acceptance speech, especially
2: this year, just to be like this is all a charade, and yes. I reject this <laughs> award and everybody who yes. participates in this, or something like that. I- yeah,
1: it just needs like someone powerful to to say like I'm not going to go next year, you know, yeah. or. I don't. It doesn't matter if I'm nominated or for Tina Fey and Amy Poehler to say like we're not going to host it anymore because it's bad, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah on I, a I fundamental saw, level, I saw uh, Mark Harris tweeting about this recently, where he was saying like it is they are in far greater danger than I think we understand. Which is like oh, all yeah, it takes yeah. is like a couple studios and a couple stars to say yes. I'm not playing this, and then it's, yes. it's it could create an avalanche. Like yeah. We are we are much closer to the end of the Golden Globes than we are to the beginning. Most likely, I believe
1: that's true. Like uh, honestly, all of the institutions that we thought were sacrosanct are not as strong as we thought. Chris Harrison is not going to be hosting The Bachelor after the final rose this year, guys. Like anything can happen.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, uh, you you know, uh, uh, right wing extremists can assault the Capitol, and Chris Harrison. (laughs) cannot uh be hosting the bachelor society is crumbling at its very core mm. is really these are the what same learned. to me these <laughs> are of similar magnitude and uh it shows that nothing is certain nothing gold can stay um you know literally in this case uh but yeah i think uh it, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out and let me just also point out i would not even be talking about the golden globes if the broadcast was not such a disaster right like yeah. if, it, if it was just like oh blah normal show I I don't even think I would mention it or it would be like a three sentence mention. But because it was such a it it transcended the category because of how bad it was. And therefore, I felt it was worth mentioning. It it was an excruciating experience of almost unbearable length. And you lived every second uh, of it. (laughs) and, And my body recoiled at every moment of it. So uh shout out to the hfba and the golden globes yeah you're it like who needs a long saw... covid of awards <laughs>
1: shows? <laughs> exactly
0: <laughs> who, who needs, needs a david reach film or a saw yeah. revival right when we have like <laughs> last night's golden globes it, I, it truly was awful and by and the only reason i actually watched it by the way i should point out is because um one of the members of my covid bubble those who m- listen to the podcast know uh, we're in a covid bubble with one other person we see each other and no one else um She uh, had a, uh, what do you call it? Um, Is it bracket? What's the right word? The the, uh, pool? You know, like basically, they they had a little pool where they're like going for the, uh, you know, placing bets on the winners and stuff like that. And so she really wanted to see who won. And, you know, it was was a bubble. You you
2: were just there just to get away from there. You know, I was like,
0: (laughs) I was like, can we please watch Alan V. Farrow on HBO Max instead? Basically, that's how I really wanted to not watch the Golden Globes anymore. Um, you want but to watch it,
1: something that may make you feel good instead.
0: See, I, um, I don't know about that, but uh, <laughs> I wanted to watch something less depressing than the Golden Globes. So <laughs> um, anyway, uh, those are some thoughts on the Golden Globes. Uh, may they rest in peace.
4: It's time for me to hop in here and tell you about our sponsor, Candid. Are you unhappy with your smile? You don't have to be. Thousands of people have used Candid, the clear, comfortable, removable, and practically invisible aligners to help strengthen their teeth. And now they love their smile, just like Justin M. from Atlanta, Georgia, Devendra's neck of the woods. Justin M. writes, When I was younger, I used to have a gap in the front and on the side. I noticed that people would always look at my mouth first, so I was looking for a fix. Candid ended up being the perfect company for me. You can't stop me from smiling now. There's no comparison. Wow. And Candid is here to help straighten your teeth so you can fall in love with your smile, too. Your treatment is prescribed and closely monitored remotely by a licensed orthodontist who is an expert in tooth movement. You'll have the same quality of care you'd get from an in-office orthodontist and from the comfort and convenience of your own home. And while other companies use general dentists, Candid only works with orthodontists. With Candid, the same orthodontist who created your plan is with you from start to finish, so you never have to wonder how you're doing. The average Candid treatment is just six months. You'll start seeing results way before then, and it costs thousands less than traditional braces. My wife used Candid. Her smile has improved dramatically. She found it to be easy and effective so comfortable. It worked right into her lifestyle. You can become your best you. Start straightening your teeth today. Right now, you can save $75 on Candid's Starter Kit. Go to candidco.com slash filmcast and use the code filmcast. That's candidco.com slash filmcast with the code filmcast. Take advantage of this limited time offer to save $75 on your starter kit. C A N D I D C O. Dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T and that promo code Filmcast.
0: All right. Uh, let's talk about what else we have been watching this week. Uh, let's start with Tara. Tara, what are you watching this week?
1: I got a couple of things. First, uh, I want to talk about For All Mankind, which I reviewed for Vanity Fair. I will give you the link so you can link that in the show notes if you wish. Um, season two recently started airing on Apple TV+. Plus. This is one of the titles that... Um, Apple TV Plus, Plus launched with, uh, along with shows like The Morning Show and Dickinson and C. Remember C? <laughs> the no, Jason nobody Momoa has Everyone's show. Blind show? Nobody
2: has seen that show. <laughs> does not exist.
1: We watched the first one. Listen, yeah. it's coming back for a second season, believe it or not. But anyway, For All Mankind is, uh, I feel, unfairly overlooked. And the idea of it is what would happen if. To the space race, if the Soviets made it to the moon before mm-hmm. the US. And it's sort of a counterfactual show about the space race that starts from that premise. It's from Ron Moore, who created um, Battlestar Galactica, the revival that was on sci fi several years ago now. Um, so, season two, the first season sort of goes through like it follows the 60s and 70s, and there are parallels to what actually happened in fact, in the space race in the U.S. And, you know, then it goes off in some crazy directions. Season two picks up in 1983, and the characters that we got to know in season one are in various good and bad places. Uh, if you haven't seen season one, it doesn't make much sense to say where they are. I, I really strongly recommend it. I, and I'll just mm-hmm. say 2020 was a boom year, for space shows, weirdly, um, there was Space Force Away. Remember Away <laughs> with Hillary Swank on Netflix. I remember yeah. Away. Uh,
2: I wish I didn't see Space Force, but yeah,
1: yeah, uh, the right stuff on Disney Plus. Remember that Moonbase Eight. Um, <laughs> I watched some of all of those. Only one of those I thought was at all competent. That would be the right stuff, and even that, I definitely bailed on before the season was over. But we talked about Space Force and Away on Extra Hot Great. So I watched a few of each of both of those, and I like John C. Riley and Tim Heidegger, so I at least sampled Moonbase 8. They were all quite bad, and <laughs> I – I was going to least- say,
0: literally, you, your talking sounds like gibberish to me right now. Like yeah. are, are, are those actually all shows that you just yes. said? Yes. You know, yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. Um, at least one, possibly two have been canceled, rightly so. I guess Netflix is hoping that, like, Greg Daniels and Steve Carell might want to make another office in some form someday so they don't want to piss them off. Because I truly don't know why else It's Space one Force of the is, worst
2: things I've ever seen with Greg Daniels' name attached to it. Like, he... Yeah, man.
1: It's fucking terrible. It's so bad. But anyway... Yeah. Given all that, it is infuriating to me that for all mankind is so buzzless because it's really good and interesting and like thoughtful about its project. it's different um yeah. and what you especially need to know is that this is coming from someone who thinks space is dumb and that every speculative Tara, show about space travel should be his speculative are you, show but what solving are you do <laughs> <That's laughs>
2: Did I'm you look saying? at the the Mars rover landing this last week and it was just like, meh. <laughs> You, you're, you're, saying,
0: you're saying you fundamentally think the idea of going into space is dumb because we should be solving Earth's problems first, yes? Yes. Ooh. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's, that's yeah. a very defensible point of view. Um, I, I, so, I don't
2: know. Um, so I will say,
0: around this, by the way, like
2: I do have thoughts about how Apple is treating its shows because I do think they have no idea what the hell they're doing. It is yeah. ridiculous. Like, Ted Lasso, <laughs> you go to try to watch Ted Lasso now. On Apple TV, uh, let alone finding the Apple TV Plus channel. If you're already subscribing to it, you got to do like several extra clicks just to get to Ted Lasso, which is the buzziest thing they've got right now. Yeah, it's insane. It
1: it is weird. It's it. I I, I have an I have Apple TV hardware, and it is uh-huh. still hard to find yeah. their shows, which is weird. Um. So well, you, you know all you that to, said, the only reason the... I bring up I, that I yeah. think space is dumb is so that you know when I say a space show is good, okay, okay. really can take that straight to the space bank because
2: I mean it. That means something. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. It's just it's it's very um, it's very compelling in its ideas about like what would be different if these three or four things happened differently, and what would be the same.
2: Like what is fundamentally.
1: Unchangeable about America and capitalism and the world and you know also it also things... starts
2: the dreamy Joel Kinnaman right so you know
1: well yes he is in it he's <laughs> it's in not it. my jam but I, Michael Dorman from him. Patriot is in it <laughs> and he is great
2: okay that's oh, no, good um yeah, no. let let me just lay out one 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 quick fact right here right, right. Let, and I'll walk away this
1: is about space
2: <laughs> if we had no space endeavor at all we wouldn't
0: have television <laughs> we would have no TV mm, mm. Mm. what do you make of that Tara huh.
1: I mean, I do have a satellite dish, so I guess I can't say
2: all of space is (laughs) done. You are literally, you have an IV hooked up to space right now.
0: (laughs) You're, You're right,
1: you're right. I right, do also so, love my phone. <laughs> I'm sure that is space related somehow.
0: It's so. <laughs> space related. All right. So for all mankind, season two. You're you're a fan of season one, and you're also a fan of season two. It sounds like.
1: Yeah, it's. it's I just feel like everyone who's listening is probably like, I don't even know what that is. But if you have Apple TV, <laughs> like check it out. The first couple of episodes. I know how this sounds. It it, it takes a couple of episodes to get going, but. Basically, in, in episode three, what they figure out is like, what if we started training female astronauts? And that's mm-hmm. when it really, no pun intended, takes off. It sounds and it gets like
2: super this show was a little like halt and catch fired. Right. It is.
1: And that's a great yeah. analogy.
2: Yeah. Yes. OK. OK. I'm down. Like I watched the first episode and by halt and catch fired, I mean, that just started out as one thing. And then in the middle of the first season evolved into being a show about the women and how much they're more interesting than the men that they tried to yes. feature. Yes. So, yes. yeah, I'm down with this and the changing decades. I didn't know all this. So, yeah, I'm going to give this another shot.
1: Yeah, it's it's really it's really good. And and um, I feel like I'm screaming about it because no one knows that it is a show.
2: <laughs> Tell Apple <laughs> Apple does not know how to market these shows. So I don't know. Yeah, what's up.
0: I agree. Uh, anything else you've been watching, Tara?
1: Well, we usually have two shows on streaming going at a time. We have one that is new to uh, me and my husband, the aforementioned Dave, that um, we put on when our weekly shows are all watched, or we do not have the energy for a movie um, at the moment. Our uh, our new to us show is nine one one, the original, the Fox yes! drama. Uh huh. Because we are. <laughs> Deeply in love with 911's spinoff 911 9-1-1 Lone Star, Aww. the best stupid bonkers show on television. So dumb,
2: Dave. You have to watch 911. I think you will really enjoy how batshit that show. Is. <sighs> it's so it's, it's so, so so
0: bonkers. So weird. All right.
1: Can I tell you a story about nine one one Lone star? Can I just tell you what happened last week? i <laughs> I, already... I
0: think I know because I think I listened to the extra hot gray podcast where you described it.
1: okay. well, two um... the slash film podcast <laughs> listeners who do not who do not listen to that. and I hope there are only two or three of crossover you, story.
0: <laughs> yeah, go ahead.
1: Here's the cold open of last week's nine one one Lone star. We're recording this on Monday, so it might be two weeks ago by the time you hear this someone calls into in, into 911 help me my brother is choking 911 operator says can you get behind him he says no we're conjoined twins pull back we see they're conjoined from the ch- from the like forehead he's he's choking on peanut butter and he also says also it's our birthday also we haven't spoken in 2 years so he has to Eventually, the brother like passes out and he has to like crawl over on like belly crawl because his brother, who has passed out by this point, is like dead weight and get to the vacuum cleaner, get the like crevice cleaner, the like long skinny attachment yes. thing. I love it. And yes. put it in his mouth to <laughs> vacuum out the, pe- the peanut butter and it works and he lives. Wow. Best show.
2: The show, mm. I feel like the writers for these shows just have the best job in TV right now. It's just like, the yeah, best. How do we create these situations? Show. And also, Gina Torres is on Lone Star now, so I need to. Keep yes,
1: yeah. she has right. replaced Liv Tyler, and it's a huge upgrade. Anyway, right. so nine one one is our current <laughs> new to us show.
3: Yep we, yep.
1: we also have what we call a bedtime show. This is like when Devendra is saying this is about Fraser that it's the show that's on at night at his house. That's that's what what <laughs> what our bedtime show is in our house. This is what we put on when we're winding down. Usually the sitcom, usually one, or sorry, always a sitcom, usually one we've already watched many times. 30 Rock, Scrubs. We did Cheers and Frasier a while back. Just finished Futurama for a second time. I pitched mm. Seinfeld. I'm a 90s guy. So this is, of course, a show I watched in its first run. And then again, when it started in syndication. And then I watched it so much in syndication that I started to kind of hate it, um, which mm. Never happened for me with Friends, uh, which I could and have happily watched one million times, but it had been so long since I'd watched Seinfeld that I thought I could experience it again, like almost new. And I was right. Guys, you heard it here first. Seinfeld. Good sitcom. Pretty good. Oh, wow. um,
0: shocking. Yeah, think, like, there's it, definitely
1: stuff in it that has not aged well. There's race yes. stuff, age stuff, body stuff for sure. And the big stuff that turned into catchphrases is annoying. But it's still the minuscule observations about daily life that hit because those don't change. And the episodes, the episode, for example, where Jerry and Elaine are taking a flight and they get separated into different sections on the plane because there's a seat in first and a seat in coach. And he just says he'll take the first seat because she's never uh-huh. flown first class and she won't know the difference. And then she has a terrible flight. Everything yeah. goes wrong. And he's up front sitting next to a model. It's so Classic. good.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> more anything more everything like still something we say in our household to this day um which is from that episode and some of the very early episodes that must not have been replayed as much in syndication because there were some that i actually did not remember at all when we watched them again so um yeah who it's on hulu seinfeld check it out
0: (laughs) awesome all right that's seinfeld yeah uh devinja hardwar what have you been watching I want to shout out a movie i watched this weekend called uh, it is the Billie
2: Eilish documentary that's on Apple TV plus right now. Good luck finding it just like anything else on Apple TV plus. (laughs) But uh, it's called Billie Eilish. The world's a little blurry by R.J. Cutler. Uh, He directed it. This thing. um, It's astounding. I absolutely love this documentary. And I don't know. I'm somebody like I'm into Billie Eilish's music. I I think I'm, I'm with it. I'm hip. I know what the young kids are into. Okay, yeah, yeah. What uh, they're
0: playing on the streets, the streets.
2: Uh, <laughs> I know these dope beats. They like to <laughs> jam to. Um, Billie Eilish. <laughs> I love her a lot. Um, I I did not catch on to her like at the beginning when, uh, she was basically internet famous and um, you know, just a lot of stuff happened. Like I was not with her for Bad Guy era, Billie Eilish. But I caught on to her with her most recent album and. I love her as an artist and as a performer. And also it's the combination of her and her brother, Phineas. And they are like this dynamic duo of just creating this incredible pop music that speaks to now. Cause it's a little depressing. She is sort of like the radio head for this generation. And I can get it because uh, it's hard right now for kids and for teenagers, especially because the world is on fire. Everything is broken. We just spent the last year, you know, locked away because the, many, many countries did not figure out, including the U S just couldn't deal with a pandemic properly. So there's a lot to be, uh, depressed about. And I think her music speaks to the world that people are living in. I think this documentary is fantastic. Uh, it is incredible. It is surprisingly long for a documentary about a musician. It is two hours and 20 minutes long. It has an intermission. Like Mm -hmm. it just has the gall to have an intermission, but We'll say it is a well placed intermission that really breaks up the movie really well. Um, I think if you're into her music, uh, this is a great exploration of her process. It follows her from like pre bad guy era um, because I believe they like they were shooting footage as they like broke that song as they like figured out what that song was going to be. Up until like her, you know, all of her Grammy awards and her most recent tour, um, it follows everything. It kind of cuts back from her early days and the high success days, and it's really, it's just really interesting to watch her process with Phineas and how they create these songs, but also her family life. You know, she has the support of parents who just seem like genuinely nice and earnest people who want her to succeed and care about her well-being, and I am worried about her in the way that I'm worried about a lot of young artists like Amy Winehouse or something and who I also loved and I don't think the music industry treats young artists very well it is really interesting to see somebody deal with incredible fame um really processing her emotions in real time in these songs too but also have a support structure around her which is you know very rarely the music uh, the story that happens with very uh, popular musicians, right? You think of what happened to Michael Jackson and his father and everything around that. So I, I find this movie incredible. It is really fun to watch. Um, I could watch, you know, a four or five hour cut of this just because I really like chilling with her and her family, but there are a lot of good tidbits in here too. Like just the, uh, the, just the, I guess the way a teenage girl can just destroy you, you know, she meets Orlando Bloom in this movie has no idea who the fuck he is. <laughs> like, absolutely no clue. But he he hugs her. He says he's real proud of her. He kisses her on and He's like, who, who is that? And then somebody's like, he's the guy from Pirates of the Caribbean. And the next time she meets him, she's like, oh, great. Like, she actually remembered that. But at that moment, when she realized who he was, he was like, man, that was, wish he still looked like that. Just, just <laughs> cutting, just breaking him down. Completely. Um, love it. Great moments like that. Uh I really dug this movie and I hope more people check it out. And yeah, check out Billie Eilish's stuff. This movie also covers like how they break the uh, the song for No Time to Die. Um, Ooh. which it is really it's really cool. And I love her song too. So yeah, this is great for Billie Eilish fans, and I think it'll make some new ones too.
0: That's Billie Eilish, The World's a Little Blurry. Mm-hmm. It's available on Apple TV plus right now. Tara, were you gonna say something? No,
1: I
2: just said nice
0: oh yeah um and also i want to call out for all mankind was the thing that tara mentioned that's yeah, also yeah. on apple tv plus gotta say so the names. we're gonna a few do times. apple's marketing over here <laughs> because uh, <laughs> very few people are apparently. watch
1: dickinson too it just ended yeah, its second good. season it's great to. i also awesome.
2: i i really like the the m night Shyamalan show it is wild and batshit but servant is a lot of fun so yeah that's mm. a thing all right let's get to weekly
0: plugs we're gonna do weekly plugs Weekly plugs the part of the show each week where we plug something that we have created or that uh, something uh, someone else has created, and we just are fans of it. Uh, this week, I want to plug a video review I did of Minari, which is the movie you're about to hear us review. Um, <laughs> if you want to hear, uh, if you see a video version of that, uh, check that out over at YouTube. And uh, pr- pretty discouraged about this video review, I've got to be honest. like I did a, I did a video review of um, I Care A Lot. The, Rose, the Globe, Golden Globe winning film that Rosamund Pike stars in, that video is about to crack 40,000 views. And uh, this one um, is struggling to get to 1,000, you know? And it's like, I put way more effort into this one than I did it to the other one. But, you know, you, this is what I was talking about. You can't predict what the algorithm is going to like. So, well, my people last can also requ-
1: watch I Care A Lot for free and you have to pay for Minari. So that might hmm. be part of it as well.
0: I mean, I, I think it's how I internalize it, which is that people hate me, Tara. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, uh, the, uh, but no, check out Minara, my Minari review on YouTube. You're right, Tara. It's a lot easier to watch I Care A Lot than Minari. And I, I, to be honest, I'm actually kind of like worried about Minari based on how poor this video review is doing. I'm like, is this a sign of how few people are actually watching that movie? Because they should check it out. Okay, yes. Devendra, your weekly plug.
2: We did a special episode of the Engadget podcast dedicated to everybody who loves space. As a great man once said, space <laughs> is the place. And uh, I think, uh, you know, anybody who doesn't dig that is just like, I
0: don't know. Certainly, they're, certainly they're not welcome on the podcast. No, I mean, never. I would never speak to them or be friends with them. Certainly, uh, we have deep I regrets.
1: I <laughs> Go ahead. I'm not bothered.
2: <laughs> we talked about the uh, the Mars Perseverance rover landing uh, la- that happened last week, an astounding thing. Um, I mentioned like go check out some of the footage from that. But our episode was uh, we got Sophia Gad Nasser on, a well known uh, science personality online. She studies cosmology, but she makes these incredible space TikToks. Uh, you can find her at like Astro Party Girl or astroparticle actually supposed to sound like astroparticle. Um, but she helped us deconstruct what was happening, what was so interesting about this landing and what they're attempting to do. So if you like space as all cool people do, I think you should check out this last episode
0: (laughs) of the Engadget podcast. Thank you. (laughs) Goodbye. Love it. Love it. All right. Uh, Tara, your weekly plug.
1: Well, as they say, there are two genders, people who care about space and people who care about the uh, 1988 to 1994 teen magazine, Sassy. And that's where I come in. (laughs) I have a podcast that I do with the now twice mentioned David T. Cole, my husband, uh, and our friend Pamela Ribbon, And it is called Listen to Sassy, where we go through every issue of Sassy Magazine in granular detail and take you through it. It's was a very important magazine at its time and, um, it still is in in many ways. So, um, check that out. Listen to sassy.com and at listen to sassy on Twitter and Instagram.
0: And of course you should also check out Tara's, uh, other podcast, extra hot. Great as well. Uh, I'm a huge fan of that podcast, formative podcast for me as a podcaster to listen to that show. So, uh, check her out there as well. If you are a fan of her anti-space opinions on this. <laughs> I also want to thank a few more people. I want to thank our patrons over at patreon.com slash film podcast. These are the folks who are, are contributing and making this podcast that you're listening to right now possible. They're also getting some cool bonuses over there. We also occasionally get some people who donated to the podcast over at paypal.me slash me Uh, I want to thank our donors this week. Uh, Oliver Pa from Switzerland, as well as Claudia, who writes in the following. Uh, not quite sure how this works, but I sent you guys a PayPal donation, and I wanted to do so in honor of my bestie Macaulay, whose thirty-first birthday is on Monday, March first. So I guess by the time you're listening to this, it'll be a day afterwards. Happy belated Macaulay! Happy. He birthday. introduced me to you Happy guys, birthday. which I'm very thankful for. I'm so looking forward to getting back to the theater with him, as I know he is to keep up the thoughtful takes. Stay safe. Happy B Day, Mac. Not uh and I yeah. And she puts a little heart emoji in here. So uh that's, uh, that's emoticon. That's emoticon, I think is technical term is. Very sweet. Um also we got a donation from David Nakano, and he wrote an email about Minari and how much he loved it. Um and I'll just I'm not gonna read the whole email, but I'll read. He writes quote uh, Minari is the American experience through the lens of Asian immigrants told in such a relatable narrative for all people looking to better the lives of their family and future generations, end quote. So thanks to David for his lovely note about Minari, and you're going to hear us talk about Minari in just a few moments. I also want to say, if you want to support the podcast without donating, without becoming a patron, there's a very easy way to do that. All you gotta do is go to Apple Podcast and leave a star rating or a review. It takes less than ten seconds, yeah, and it really does help us out. So we really appreciate easy. that. If you want to support us for no money at all, and you're enjoying like literally five no seconds effort. of your time, no, so virtually easy. not no effort, but like basically no effort. You know, like virtually no yeah, effort. Yeah. It's so little effort that it's like not even worth mentioning how much effort it is. You know, um, but yes, <laughs> if, if you want to support us by leaving a review for us or a star rating at Apple Podcasts, it would really mean a lot. Thanks so much to everyone who's donated. Thanks to all of our patrons. Thanks to all the people who have left reviews
4: this week. Hey, folks, I want to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, Theragun. You know I'm falling apart. I've been very clear about this. My body is falling apart, which is why I am so glad I have a Theragun. My wife and I are absolutely... In love with our Theragun. I have major shoulder and neck pain. My wife has back pain. We use the Theragun liberally. We make it into a nightly routine. She's like, hey, do you want me to Theragun your back? And I say, yes. Can I Theragun your back? Yes. Theragun is the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power. And it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. Now, let me break that down for you a bit. This thing is amazing. You may have seen, you may have experienced massaging implements in your time, things that are supposed to feel incredible. I guarantee you, you have never felt anything like the Gen 4 Theragun. It doesn't just feel good. It gets to the source of the pain by releasing your tension. This thing is incredible you feel like you're using a piece of actual like nasa hardware i mean it is unbelievable the build quality the they have this this percussive therapy which goes 60 percent deeper than vibration alone now whether you want to treat your muscle tension from working out or or from an injury or just stress like i do my i hurt myself by sitting it's ridiculous there is no substitute for Theragun Gen 4. I'm telling you from personal experience, this thing works wonders. It has an OLED screen and a design that make you feel like you're holding something from the future. I'm telling you, it's like NASA technology. It's like alien space technology. Just go to their site and check it out. And the Theragun app learns from your behaviors and suggests guided routines. Theragun is trusted by 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid, and elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova, hundreds of thousands of customers, and me, my wife and I use it. Try Theragun for 30 days, starting at $199. Go to theragun.com slash filmcast right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash filmcast, theragun, T-H-E-R-A-G-U-N.com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Let's get to our review of Minari. Steven,
1: look. They're wheels. Wheels? 여기 대체 어디야? 집이지? 우리 새로
4: 시작한다고 그랬잖아. 이게 그거야. 아빠는 비 가든 하나 만들 거야. What a wonderful day to be in the house of the Lord. If you're here with us for the first time, please stand. What a beautiful family glad you're here. How's your daddy
5: like that new farm? He drawing things good, doing things
3: right. Yes. I don't like grandma. Grandma smells like Korea.
0: Yeah. What do you Grandma smell? That was from the trailer for Minari, the new film by director Lee Isaac Chung. I'm going to read the plot summary for Minari from IMDb. Quote, a Korean family starts a farm in 1980s Arkansas. End quote. Joining us today for our review of Minari, she is the TV critic at The Hollywood Reporter. She also wrote the essay that can be found in every Criterion edition of the Best Picture award-winning film, Parasite, Ingu Kang. Welcome back to the Slash Filmcast. Ingu, how's it going today?
5: Hi, I'm really happy to be the representative for apparently all things Korean content. That's content with a K. (laughs) I'm doing really good.
0: We're honored that you would choose us to be that representative. And uh, yeah, I was so uh, impressed and amazed that you got the opportunity to uh, write uh, the essay for the Criterion Collection edition of Parasite. Like, you know, there's very few people... I have actually interacted. I know people like via Twitter, but there's pe- very few people I've actually interacted with that have written one of those things. How do you approach something like that when you get that assignment? You know, like, uh, how do you even start writing an essay about Paris that you know is going to be in be this? Etched,
2: uh, yeah, for time in the criterion. In, for, for time in edition. the criterion,
0: Annals of History. Yeah. <laughs>
5: Um, I think I was actually very lucky in that I didn't fully know what a big deal it was hearing <laughs> you guys talk about it in this like referential way like I want to go back now and like reread the essay to make sure <laughs> it holds up. Um, I will say one thing I, I, I think that like I was able to I was very lucky to be able to write the essay after like all of the discourse had passed. And so it was this really great opportunity to look back and see what my thoughts really were after reading something like 200 takes on it. And then, um, I don't know, we're working really hard on, like, turning the uh, criterion C to a K also. So we've been really busy.
0: (laughs) Wow. Just FYI. All right. Well, good luck on that. And also, I think this essay is available online, right? Uh, notes from the underground so we'll link to that in the show notes but check out Ingu's essay and obviously she's doing great work over at the Hollywood Reporter as well Ingu we're so grateful that you joined us to discuss Minari today which as of right now is a Golden Globe winning film Um, a occasionally dubious distinction that said it was great to see it win last night on the Golden Globes curious your overall thoughts on Minari Ingu
5: You know, it's such a unlikely awards contender in so many ways that, um, of course, it's there's like all of these like problematic details of um, how it's being recognized or how it's being awarded, obviously, like the most... uh, the most obvious example of that being that it won the Globe for best uh, international language film. Yeah,
0: for best foreign language film, I believe.
5: Yeah. Oh yes, um, I think I've seen approximately two hundred thousand tweets saying that English has no. Sorry, the U.S. has no official uh, language, and so you know. I understand where all of the stuff is coming from but if I'm looking at the film in its totality it's so unlikely that it was made um the performances are not super awards friendly in my opinion um and it's a type of story that I think is in many ways like a pretty hard sell for people who really For an industry that really is addicted to, like, these, like, big showy performances and these, like, big kind of dumb points being made. Um, And so I'm just really glad it's really sticking in there with its awards uh, chances.
0: Yeah. And I think what you're saying is, like, typically an awards movie is very bombastic or very overt and occasionally clunky in terms of the social or political points it's making. And this movie is none of those things is like very subtle across all areas. Yes.
5: Yeah. I think that's exactly uh, the point I was trying to make that was said much better. You should have written the parasite essay. <laughs> um, I think the number one adjective for this movie is restrained, right? Yeah. Um, it has sort of a epic grandeur, but at, the core of it it is an extremely restrained film. And so I'm really glad that a story like this is getting the opportunity to fight tooth and nail like in a very weird award season.
0: Indeed. Um, I think I agree with that. Divine, your hardware, your overall thoughts on Minari? Oh, yeah. I was blown away
2: by this film. And I think mainly because of its subtlety and just how quiet it is. And, you know, we could talk about the ending. Like, I think it, it certainly hammers home certain points uh, by the end. But I love this film as a story of, you know, an immigrant family just chasing the American dream and just how difficult that is and how alienating that is. I felt really connected to this family. It reminded me of what it was like, you know, for me as a kid, um... With my family, like moving from South America to Hartford, Connecticut, <laughs> everybody's favorite state capital. Oh well, um, yeah,
0: it's it's the place that it would be logical to move to if yeah. you were coming from South Af- uh, South America, right? Is yeah, yeah, most isn't definitely. That
5: like and, uh, <laughs> home to like the basketball Hall of Fame or something.
2: No, that's Springfield. Oh, I, I think that's Springfield. Yeah, <laughs> that's right outside yeah. Springfield. That was on the highway to Dave and I's uh, uh, college. Actually, so I pass that all the time. Hartford is not known for anything,
0: but anyway, it was I, well, really weird. I, I, just, I, just yeah. I just want to pause her. I just want to pause her for a moment, Devendra, because I think it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, like I'm in I mean, my family's an immigrant uh, is an immigrant family as well. Uh, Ingu, I'm not sure of yours is. Tara, I'm not sure of yours is. Um, uh, but, you know,
1: I'm an immigrant. <laughs> I just immigrated this year. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, come on. So. Uh, but the thing, the thing that's kind of, uh, interesting is like to reflect back on it. It's, Mm -hmm. it's not until you get older that you realize like, wait, why did my parents choose Why place here? to co- go to places. right and and it's <laughs> yeah. just like well i guess like rural arkansas would just be just as logical as like hartford connecticut or <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: you know yeah, where we I, had, I grew up
0: yeah like there was a certain logic because my fa-
2: like some of my family had already moved there there was a small guy in his community there even though most people seemed to just be staying in new york and Looking back at it now, I kind of wish I grew up in New York because I like New York so much more as a city. But it is weird, right? These weird decisions. But also looking back, too, I feel the full weight of what my parents did, you know, like upending their lives in their mid-20s when I was young and uh, moving to a place they've never been, a place that is cold and very foreign to them. Uh, They spoke the language, but it was still, you know, you're different. You're very different from the rest of the community. And I felt that growing up too. So I really love the portrayal of the kids in this movie of just like them having their little bond. I had my younger brother too, and we looked out for each other, but it was, um, it was sometimes tough to like connect with everybody else around us. Uh, luckily like Hartford was like pretty diverse too. It wasn't like rural Kansas um, or Arkansas. So it was like, it was less like this movie, but I just felt certain elements, uh, the way like you would venerate dumb things like Mountain Dew you know like <laughs> it, it's just things like that and uh, the foreignness of your older relatives too and how different they are from the you know world you see going to school and then pop culture and everything this movie captures so much of it and uh, you know I'll say I, it also hits me personally too because i just dragged my freaking family from <laughs> new york to um suburban georgia and just the constant feeling throughout all that is like is this is this the right decision? Are we doing this you, right? Like is this you, the best thing for my family? You you are Steven right Yun from this yeah. movie basically. Most definitely you, chasing you my are... dream of <laughs> blogging <laughs> remotely. Yeah. Um the well, all-American
5: dream of yeah blogging remotely <laughs>
2: blogging remotely, but being able to buy a home because i'm blogging remotely right so there there you go that, <laughs> that worked out i i got that i got that completely but i'm still feeling that like i don't know if this was the right decision yet uh we're digging it my wife is a new yorker though and i don't know like she is very much like the um the wife in this film who is more of a city person and she's like what why are we here where everything is just kind of backwards and slower so yeah i felt a lot of this movie and i loved it totally it's not like yeah
0: go ahead go ahead
5: one thing that really well first of all i remember when i turned 27 i was thinking uh, about how my mom was 27 when she moved to the u.s and the idea of moving to a completely new place where i didn't speak the language and Mm -hmm. it was quite possible that people would be hostile toward me um I just remember like what a mind boggling choice that was. Um, But also my family moved, I think in this like very similar, if slightly later migration of Koreans to California. Um, Like that was basically my family's story, right? Like we moved in the eighties from California to, sorry, from Korea to California, uh, which is where I grew up. And the idea, And I think one thing I really treasure about this movie is that this father has an idea of what the immigrant path is supposed to be. And he decides, you know what, like, I know what the map is supposed to be. I know that, like, I'm supposed to work at, like, the chicken sexing Mm -hmm. uh, factory for, like, the rest of my life and hate my life, but it'll all be worth it for the sacrifices I made for my kids. That's a story for so many people. And I think what is sort of deeply romantic about Stephen Yen's character is that he knows what the map is, and he says, I'm not going to do this. And so there's two giant leaps in that choice in ending up on that farm in Arkansas. And I think that's part of what I, as an Asian American viewer, find. It's a, like, specifically Asian American uh, dream, I guess, Um, in that, like, it's so different from what everyone else is doing. And I think that idiosyncrasy or maybe, like, romantic individualism like i think that's what's really beautiful about this movie
0: yeah i just want to unpack that a little bit in i think uh if i'm hearing you correctly and and i think i agree with this is that um stephen yun's dream in this film is not the same as most asian americans that come to america right like that immigrate to america most asian americans that come to america um they either uh start a business in a city you know, like a laundromat or a restaurant, like my parents started a restaurant um, or uh, if they are professionally skilled, like they are aiming for middle management at a tech company. Right. Like that's kind of <laughs> the the two paths. Right. And Steven Yun So coming to America is already one big leap. The second leap that you're saying the character in this film makes is um, he's like bucking the trend of all the other Asian Americans. And he's like, I, I want to own a farm with huge tracts of land to quote Monty Python. And uh, and it's that that kind of distinguishes him even from like the, the conventional Asian American narrative. Yes.
5: Yeah. And I think there's even like a scene that alludes to this where uh, Monica, his wife, goes to the chicken sexing factory in Arkansas because they still have to make a living uh, based on sort of, I guess, like the paltry skill that they have or that they think the, they the can offer to America. The
0: skill or paltry wow. skill, Ingu?
5: Wow, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And so <laughs> this
0: right here. We're done. She,
5: she remembers being surprised that there were even other Korean Americans there. And I think the woman next to her says something along the lines of like, we all ended up here for a reason. And it's like a very um evocative, like like beautifully vague line, because you don't know exactly what she feels, but you sort of get the sense that like a lot of the Korean Americans. There have been sort of ostracized or have been alienated in some way by other Korean Americans, which is, you know, also inevitably a community dynamic. Mm. And I think the fact that we don't really generally get stories like that make Minari even more special.
0: Tara Ariano, I am curious what you thought about Minari.
1: Um. I agree with Ingu that it is not a typical uh, awards play because the performances in it are so interior, and that was certainly what struck me. And especially with these the central couple, Jacob and Monica, that they are so buttoned down. I mean, they're just they're just white knuckling it through their lives, and that's why when they fight, it's like this is the this is their only chance to actually express themselves in any way, and that's those, those scenes are so scary and seeing them sort of through the children's perspective were Mm -hmm. those scenes were so effective for me. Uh, and I think the one where they, the kids go into the back room and they make paper airplanes with don't fight written on them. And they think this is going to diffuse this big blowout. And then it's even like too big for the, the, for the airplanes to diffuse. Um, Yeah, I thought, you know, when the announcement was, here's how we're going to solve the problem, grandma's coming is like, oh, no, (laughs) I don't know if this is going to work. But but yeah, the uh, the move, the way that they talk about California is this 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 experience that they had. We sort of only hear about it in little snatches. And I, I. I thought that was an interesting choice, too, because it doesn't seem like either of them were really that happy there either. But she was happier. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't really know what her dream is, except it's not whatever they're doing now. And, um, yeah, to find them here in in Arkansas, it's just like we see all these different ways that she's trying to to fit in or trying to find just something else to build a life on. You know some other kinds of fellowship, like you know, didn't anyone ever try to start a Korean church? And her coworker's like, "Uh, no." And you know, when they try to go to the church, they do go to. It's like that sort of curdles too. It's just like the 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 pain of Monica was was what I sort of thought was really effectively rendered in this movie. So mm, I mean, I'm sure yeah. we'll get into more of the plot stuff later, but yeah, the the interiority of the these these two. Um very struggling people (laughs) is Mm -hmm. well, was well rendered. I thought.
3: Yeah. I Uh, think
5: also in a lot of ways, just to like build on what Tara was saying, there is sort of this idea that a lot of people have problems struggling economically, but it like supposedly brings people together. And I think something that I found really resonant about this is just all of the ways that stress about money can really fracture families, which I don't think is, like, a thing that we see very often, even though it feels so very commonsensical. And I read one, like, quasi-critique of the movie about, like, the characters all feeling like archetypes, but I feel like Lee Isaac Chung uh captured like particular family dynamics in this like really precise way um there's sort of like the money example One thing I really love is how they have all of these like little mini fissures within the family about the Christian faith, of, especially in Monica, where Monica's a believer and no one else believes in Christianity as much as Monica does. And so her husband sort of like needles her. And then when Monica's mother arrives from Korea and we don't know what her faith is, she is sort of like tutting her daughter for. Like, telling her son about heaven and death and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I think it just, like, captures certain family dynamics really well, which helps with this sense of, like, emotional realism, even if you have all of these other elements that feel a little bit more movie-ish. Mm.
1: I also thought it was interesting that it's it seems to be set during the summer because, you know, we don't see the kids go to school at all. Like figuring out what they're going to do in terms of childcare is also an issue. And I thought that also contributed to just this feeling of, uh, you know, the 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 beauty of the land and the 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 plot is so big, but also like the trailer feels so small and their world feels so small because they just mm. have nowhere else to go but just to be with each other feeling trapped.
0: I really love this movie. Uh I felt like it illuminated parts of my own upbringing that I didn't haven't really thought about. Um I am not a Korean American, but I am a Taiwanese American and there were many things about these children's upbringing that I recognized in my own upbringing. Um I'll list a couple. Uh Ingu, maybe you can you can back me up on some of these, but uh one of them is like uh there's this moment when the mom uh, is uh, Monica is cleaning out her child's ear using like this wooden tool. That's something <laughs> that like many Asian families do. Like it's just not, it's a thing that is like a common thing in uh, many parts of Asia and that my mom did with me. And it's like I've like never seen that depicted on screen before. And I thought that was like lovely to see that because it's like a very kind mm-hmm. of loving gesture that like parents, you know, it's kind of a thing. It would be like the equivalent of, uh, you know, brushing your child's hair, you know, even though it's a little bit more gross than that. But um, (laughs) so there's that. And then the idea of the grandmother coming um, to live with them. This is a very like, Tara, It sounds like you may be a little surprised by that, but like this is extremely common. Oh, go ahead.
1: I I didn't mean that that there was there was the problem was that the grandmother was coming. It just seemed like this was. Potentially more stress on the couple that was already very stressed.
0: Yeah, that's totally fair. Um, I think this is extremely common that like the grandmother will come like live with the family and take care of the kids in yes. um in Eastern cultures, mm-hmm. and uh, that happened with me. Like my parents, my my um both of my grandparents came to visit us and stayed with us for like months at a time. And I don't think it was until I watched this movie that I understood how. A, how scary that must have been for the grandmother. I believe, I'm not sure, but I believe like this movie is somewhat autobiographical and Lee Isaac Chung's grandmother in real life like died while she was in the United States. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and then, and like how like, you know, if you, like, can you imagine being that age and like going to a foreign country to like help your children out? It's just, uh, I can imagine it would be really challenging but also how comforting that must have been to have uh, a taste of home, you know like uh, like a, a sign of home like in your house and taking care of your kids with you, spending time with you, you know, like, and obviously Monica in the film is deeply moved by it. Um, so,
5: and also like the suitcase of food that she -hmm. brings, there's like dried anchovies and chili powders. And I remember watching that scene for the first time and Monica started crying and I, and then like I started crying. We live with like my grandmother. We live with like one of my grandmothers for a lot of like my childhood, but there was also a period where my other grandmother came over and lived with us for a while and it was like a period of my life i had basically completely forgotten about wow. until i saw this movie and then i was like oh no memories
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah same thing same thing i was like i i it i i had always appreciate it's not like i wasn't appreciative of that time you know but like seeing this movie i understood what a sacrifice uh, or i understood more deeply what a sacrifice it was and finally uh there's this foul black liquid that the grandmother makes David the child drink in this movie. And my mom made me drink that foul black liquid when I was a kid too. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, When I was like not feeling well, she's like, Hey, drink this. I'm like, this is like one of the worst things I've ever tasted and and probably ever will. And to this day, that's true. Uh, And it's like, that's something that happens uh, in this movie as well. And so it's just, it was like, Oh wow. There's all these parts of my life that I had really never thought about. um, But that are now being kind of illustrated in this potentially, you know, uh, award-winning film and uh that was just like really lovely to witness but the broader point about this movie wait
5: can i say oh, one thing about yeah, like please. the foul drink Yeah. so i think like shortly thereafter um the boy complains that his grandmother has a quote-unquote korean smell mm-hmm. and it's sort of supposed to be his projection and then like his sister's like you've never even been to korea so you don't <laughs> even know what you're talking about yeah. and so you get like this like Suggestion of like a kind of like internalized racism. And then you also get like a sense of like his projection onto like the things he finds negative onto this woman that he's known for about two days. But also, I knew exactly what that smell was as soon as he (laughs) said it, because (laughs) I too have had that drink. And I feel like I also know what a lot of like 80 year old or 70 year old like Korean women smell like.
0: I, too, have had that drink. Um, yeah, we're, we're united in this uh, experience we've had. Um, but the thing I wanted to... The, the broader point of this movie, right, is I think one that's illustrated very well, uh, like, t- spoken about very well, in this interview that Hollywood Reporter writer Ingu Kang did with Lee Isaac Chung. Hey. Oh, wait, that's you, Ingu. You're the one that did this. Um and very nice segue <laughs> it's, thank you i nailed it um and it's uh it's about what happens when the um, basically what happens when the american dream is taken too seriously um like it's a side of the american dream that we usually don't see because most of the time when we think about the concept of the american dream it's about people who grow up to be uh, like people who immigrate to the country and they cre- create businesses um, right, or they right. make money in other ways and they're successful. And that's generally what we think of the American dream. This is uh, this this movie illustrates the, the struggle of the American dream, how challenging and lonely and alienating it is. Uh, and I, I think that's really valuable because there's not that many movies that do that. So.
5: And also sort of thinking through, like, what it is that you've lost um, yes. while pursuing it. Um, what, a movie that I thought about so much while watching Minari was actually The Farewell, which also centers on a grandmother-grandchild relationship. But so much of that movie is about the, like, almost insurmountable loss of family uh, that immigration demands, basically. And I think what's really – and I think that, like, knowing the Academy's taste for direct, like, Green Book or something, where, like, a lot of, like, the race-based lessons are supposed to be very pat and supposed to be sort of, like – um like the anti-racism
0: was in you all along, basically, <laughs> right?
5: <laughs> and this art supposed to like reflect American like hegemonic ideas about like assimilation. I think that's another reason why I'm very surprised that this movie is doing so well because it's a movie that sort of really asks and like really forces the like viewer to ask themselves, like, is immigration really worth it for this family? Like, should they even have come here in the first place? Or was like their whole concept of like, if we move to America and then if we move to Arkansas, like things will get better. Like, is that like hope or is that delusion?
2: (laughs) Yeah, There's a lot of delusion in this movie. I'll say like, I think the overall dream, right? Jacob's dream of having a farm in Arkansas. And he's like, yeah, there there's some Koreans moving nearby. Like, this seems like a good business <laughs> idea. And I'm just thinking, like, as somebody who, you know, covers a lot of up-and-coming businesses, I don't know about your market research here, buddy. I don't know about <laughs> your, like, product-market fit going into this <laughs> endeavor. Um, there, there's a lot that seems questionable. I appreciate that this movie, nobody is perfect. You know, everybody's flawed in some way. In particular, Jacob is just like... He is so driven to do this. You know, he mm-hmm. has his family in a house with wheels, um, brought, it brought to mind like the no man land stuff, uh, that we were talking about too. Just like the, the, they, they, it felt like they weren't living in a real home or house, I guess. And that was first impression, but also he has a very, very sick child. And we haven't talked about that. And the, the idea of being a parent, right. And, it, it is constant anxiety. It is constantly like worrying about like, Oh my God, what will hurt or kill my child? Um, to be, to have a child with heart issues and to be an hour away from a hospital yeah. is insane to me. Absolutely insane. And, um, like, but it's it just not a decision you it.
0: could imagine making yourself. No,
2: not yeah. at all. Like, y- yeah, yeah, you really have to be driven for this dream to do it. And I think at th- there are certain times where it seems like this dream is destroying the family, you know, like the dream isn't necessarily, the best thing for them it is his dream and he kind of wants to make it happen but i don't know if it's the best thing for everybody that ambiguity is there in the movie and there's also like you know the moment where like you know um child abuse is a thing that could happen within this movie and i do feel like a lot of immigrant narratives don't quite don't quite always confront that you know i remember Mm. that being the uh the complaint uh against the fresh off the boat tv series where um yeah, that Co-
0: character. Oh, corporal Wong punishment. Like. Yeah. yeah, corporal punishment is a thing in many it's uh, thing. immigrant families. Yeah. It's a. It's very um, much this, a thing.
2: I was also that kid who got the smallest, you know, brand. So <laughs> it's like the, the, the smallest stick. Yeah. Yeah, the way that works is perfect.
0: Yeah. So Lee, Lee Isaac Chung in this interview that I referred to, by the way, the quote that I thought uh, was really resonated was quote: "I didn't want to just criticize the American dream or just say that's false." I was more interested in what it is about us that desires that dream to the point that we would take such a great risk end quote mm-hmm. um, yeah, so yeah, and Go i think ahead. I think
1: the the film i mean he it it is so it it does show not just his passion but also the arrogance that he pursues mm-hmm. it with, i mean it starts out daddy's going to make a big garden and then it turns out we're here. I am getting a bank loan. We <laughs> bought a zoo. Dowser. I'm going to dig my own well. Cause I'm <laughs> smart. It's like, buddy, you know, you don't okay, know better so, than. Everyone. So
0: I think you and Devinder are reacting extremely reasonably to the events depicted in the film. But then the thing is, you know, uh, n- no, I feel like, it's a miracle that any immigrant business survives. You know, like when my, when my parent, when my dad started a restaurant, um, he didn't do any market sizing. He doesn't even understand what the concept is. You know, like he it was, yeah. it was it and, was not in the middle of nowhere, Dave. You know, <laughs> it had he was slightly in a place more it had slightly more chance of success in the farm. I, I'll grant you that. But it is kind of this leap of faith that many immigrants take. And I think that this is just like a really extreme version. He really of went off the deep, like the high diving board for this one. Yeah. <laughs> indeed, indeed. All There's right, let's
5: also get, a port. Yeah. Sorry. There's also like a point where um like Monica is giving him a hard time for pursuing this so much, and to the point where they are contemplating divorce. And then Stephen Yen's character gets mad and says, like, basically, don't you think that like your children deserve to have a father who is a role model? Mm-hmm. Um, and that line really hit me hard. I think just because it's another one of those like immigrant dynamics where a lot of the time the second generation. Uh, feels so alienated from like the concerns or the priorities of the first generation is that it's sometimes hard to look at them as role models. Like, of course, you can say, you can like say things for a certain, um, Qualities like, I don't know, candor, or in my case, like, I think my mom's really funny. So, like, I really admire that about her. But she's not someone I can necessarily look to as an example of someone who is a professional role model, right? And so, that idea of um, wanting to give his children the idea that, like, I'm going to go for this, like, really fantastical dream and I want them to believe that they can do that too in their own lives i found that like deeply moving Mm. Mm
0: -hmm. well i have some further thoughts i want to share about this movie and i would love to hear all your thoughts on this uh specifically ending so why don't we get to spoilers for minari starting right now
4: now you're looking for the secret you're gonna see this coming no but you won't find it because of course
0: you're not gonna see this coming
4: you're not really looking i have been puzzling over how it works you don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I don't want to tell you my secret now. You want to be
0: fooled. All right, spoilers for Minari starting right now. A uh, couple things I want to point out. Number one, uh, Ingu, I was quite amused reading your interview with Lee Isaac Chung. There's a part where you ask him, he, here's the question you ask. Um, you say, quote, this is maybe a weird question, but at any point in the writing process, did you think about making Jacob more sexist or controlling? He's a man of a certain generation, and I found his tenderness really moving. But in the back of my mind, I was like, would this guy be this nice? Yeah. End quote. And can, can you kind of explain? I think, I think I understand what you're saying there, but can you kind of explain what was behind that question?
5: Um, sure. I think this like uh, is a little bit related to the question, to the matter that Devendra brought up about you know corporal punishment, um, a little, or like possible abuse. Um, uh, this question really came from like I don't know, just like my own experience and quite possibly like my own biases, but a lot of Korean men of that era like grew up in like a very different time um and so they might not cotton to a wife who is pushing back on him in like quite a nice way as yeah. Stephen yen's character mm-hmm. is it's because... a very pa-
0: patriarchal society they they may come from,
5: yes, yeah, and so i I felt like his answer was like. Very interesting. Where he, um, I mean, you have it in front of you, but yeah. he basically. Oh, do you want to just read? Yeah, it? I'll just
0: read. I'll just read his answer. He says, uh, "I think a lot of us who grew up around like, it was a different era." but I didn't want the film to become just about that. It's enough that what he's doing is bringing his family to this place without consulting Monica at all. That's already a form of violence.
1: Yeah, um, I was going to say, I didn't think he was very nice. I thought that was pretty <laughs> bad,
0: yeah. personally. But the, but that's the thing. That's the thing. is he, So Lee Isaac chung continues, I didn't want to make him irredeemable, but I did think about that because that's reality. And yeah, I have heard Korean immigrant women of that generation saying, what a wonderful husband he is. Why are they talking <laughs> about divorce? End quote. <laughs> Which I thought was just, pretty hilarious about i mean hilarious but also like sad about like the the idea that like different generations have such different perspective on these like gender dynamics in a a marriage right
5: yeah such Um, different expectations for what they can demand from their partner
1: so i think it's also maybe partly that like Stephen Yun brings some something to the role, like he's such a sweet boy. Like you know, yeah. you yeah. see that face; it's hard to, yeah. it's hard to picture him being like a total monster. And also, when they were really having money problems, every time I was like, "Just go to the city and become a model." Like, you're so <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's, Tara, that's true.
1: Please watch Burning. Though. Yeah, I was, I
0: was literally <laughs> going to say the exact same thing. That's watch true. Burning. I did see Burning. Yeah. You're yeah. right. You're right. It's it hard you,
2: to go from Burning Stephen Yun to this
0: movie. <laughs> true, true. Yeah.
2: true. 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 True.
0: All right, folks, I, I got to bring up this thing because I want to hear what you have to say about this. Um, and that's the ending. I got to say, I didn't love it. Um, they
2: saved each other, Dave.
0: <laughs> Don't you get it? Don't you get it? <laughs> it's a little bit clunky. Like, yeah. it's a little bit on it. Like, the re- the rest of the movie is so subtle.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then you have this ending where his dream literally goes up in flames yeah and then and I think what we're supposed to understand from that scene, like as Davindra eloquently put it is they saved each other, which is like mm-hmm. at some point in that converse, in that scene, which was like I think uh, honestly a little bit confusingly filmed yeah uh he he makes the call like, Fuck these vegetables like I'm saving my wife like that that is my understanding of what happens in that scene mm-hmm. um and then and then the idea is like like they've decided that they're going to stick together as a family dot 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 but it stay feels a in Arkansas. Abrupt but yeah, stay in Arkansas, yeah. you know, so I, mm-hmm. I just felt like I didn't, a, I felt like it was a little bit clunky, the fiery ending. And B I didn't know if the decision to stay in Arkansas necessarily honored what came before. On the one hand, we did see that scene with the son and the doctor and he's like, yeah, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Cause it's healthy for the boy. You know? And so it's like, okay, that's a, that's ar- theoretically an argument to stay there, but also obviously Monica uh, Monica's extremely unhappy and um, they could probably have a better life elsewhere. So, uh, Ingu, curious, as somebody who really enjoyed the film, what did you think of the ending?
5: Um, here's what I'll say. The first time I watched the movie, I was also like, ooh, this is like a little too neat. Um, <laughs> um. And also the fire sort of like, has, it, it, it goes with sort of this like, a uh, fire like land sky water sort of like captain planety like <laughs> like map right and so what, what about hearts
0: <laughs> Shut Captain up. That's captain planet <laughs> reference for all those uh those youngsters out there okay anyway go ahead go ahead and go.
5: yeah so i thought it was like the like set of like metaphors that he was going for it was like a little too pat and then i like when i watched it for the second time i just like forgave it because it doesn't end with the fire it like ends with like the kids running after the grandmother who is basically slinking away in shame and i think like i don't know like what she was thinking but she was probably like i'm of like no use to anyone yeah um and like, the kids running after her to, like, bring her back into the family fold. And then that final image of, like, everybody in the family sleeping in the trailer, like, in one room.
3: Yeah.
5: Like, mirroring, like, their first night in that trailer. But also, like, mirroring in a lot of ways, like, old-timey Korean sleeping patterns. um, Like, I don't know. That just got to me, dude. Yeah. Um, And so... Like, did I love the fire? No, did that have to happen? Like, I guess it felt like, so
2: cruel in a way. It's like we we, just, we got there. We just got there. You know, he's <laughs> he's having a little bit of success, and why is your trash fire so close to the frickin' stock like <laughs> barn? Like, why? Well,
0: I think I think the idea of like, a- as you put it, ingure. It's all 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 plot lines converge on fire which is to say uh you know steven young's character like saves monica and it's like oh he's given up his dream for his wife and then um david the kid runs after grandma the woman he basically tormented the entire movie but now they've reconciled because like he recognizes her importance and it's just like yeah it feels a little bit too pat to me um Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. I, i will say uh, I agree with you, also Ingu, in that that image of them sleeping on the floor together, it, it is, it is a really powerful image. You know, it is kind of like um, this family is going to stick together regardless of what has happened, and and that is ultimately like the powerful idea. I just don't necessarily like love the path that we took to get there.
2: Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it um, works. I think it works. It worked for me. It just felt abrupt. I feel like one more one more scene. <laughs> One more look between Jacob and Monica. Something like, give me something in terms of how they're processing everything that happened. Yeah, I feel like yeah. I, I
0: just needed a little more. But I agree. I, I'm I fine agree. with this. Yeah, Tara, curious your thoughts on the ending of this film.
1: Uh, I also felt like it was too much, and I would also add. <laughs> In terms of burning the trash, uh, I, rec- until recently, lived in a place where we did not have garbage pickup. I lived in a pl- I, I was the Monica. We lived in a place that was really rural and I hated it. Um, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily need to burn your trash. You would just drive it to the town dump, which is what we had to do. Obviously, their grandmother would not know that. And mm-hmm. But again, like, <laughs> what? I agree. Why is the can so close? It just it just seemed like we I didn't know how we got there. Yeah. And you got you know, all the
2: space, man. So much yeah. space. <laughs> what are you doing? Like,
1: why are you doing any of these things? Like when someone says just watch TV and relax. Just watch TV and relax. You don't have to tell me twice. That's all I want to do <laughs> now. I'm not an old woman who's had a stroke.
0: <laughs> i Anyways. do have, I, I will say i know many you know i don't know if this is like limited to asian americans but i do know many asian americans who are very bad at following that instruction yeah. of They'll like don't tell hey, an
2: immigrant not to do anything right you worst not, thing you could say
0: you're not in a physically good state please relax and don't do things they have a lot of difficulty following exactly that um so yeah, yeah. that that part felt realistic to me but yeah the, i agree it's like why are they doing like I, didn't, I don't feel like that barrel was so close to the shed before. Anyway, so. Yeah,
1: but I mean, yeah. in terms of like it, it just it did also underscore like the grandmother being, you know, the pivot point of all of it because she was she was the one who caused the fire. But then she was also the one who you know brought us the minari which is the actual final scene of the movie which which is you know jacob and david picking it at the end and that is also again not a subtle metaphor but maybe a a a more lovely one (laughs) like look at this beautiful minari it 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 just makes everyone happy and it grows where it's planted get it yes but i (laughs) but i like
0: it wait tara are you saying that the minari is a metaphor for the family (laughs) and possibly immigrants as a whole
1: perhaps
0: oh wow all right all right thinking about that going to going to put that in my pipe and smoke it um so I yeah wasn't i was
1: saying I, you guys didn't get there i'm just saying <laughs>
0: <laughs> no i know i know i i but I, I it's not it's not subtle i think i think the ending is not subtle but uh, yeah it, it is to me beautiful the idea of like okay so uh, ingu i'm not sure how much you know about minari I know nothing, so like, please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong about any of this, because I don't—I barely know what I'm talking about on a good day, um, and so today maybe it's even worse. But like, my my sense is like, the minari is a resilient plant that can like obviously grow where other plants cannot, um, and that it is—it uh, it persists and that it can enrich the lives of us all, yeah. uh, and that's kind of what that ending scene is it, trying it is to say. The
2: immigrants, we get the job done. Line. Basically, yeah, I guess of uh, of foreign plants. Yeah,
5: I absolutely cannot answer this question because the only thing I know, like minari of, is basically as like an edible plant. But like obviously, like the metaphor, like in the movie, is like basically all I'm getting from it. I can't give you like extra cultural background.
0: Have have you have you consumed minari though?
5: I'm sure I have. Like in my like time that i've been on this planet but i think i have <laughs>
0: it, it this hasn't like left terrible any, any memory uh, we probably all it have a comeback, it's, a, it's a kind of parsley yeah yeah, yeah. yeah i yeah.
5: think i i you might ha- like you and um devendra might have this experience where mm-hmm. you know you've like eaten something like a million times but you don't actually know like what it's called oh, yeah. or like yeah, yeah. what it's made out of. It yeah. also does not sort of- exist
2: anywhere else in America and you can't talk to anybody about it.
5: <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's sort of like that for me where I'm like, I know I've had it because my mom's told me that this is what it is. But like, did I retain any of that information? No.
0: All right. All right. Um Well, I'm curious if uh, anyone else has any other uh, thoughts on the film or any reflections on the ending they want to share uh, otherwise i think we can wrap it up but uh it's uh i mean it's lovely i will say this movie also
2: reminded me a lot of uh columbus the movie by coco mm. it's not as like stylistic and direct like that movie is really interesting and trying to do very artsy things but i do find them both really interesting as uh portrayals of you know people dealing with america in different ways that one is not even about Immigrants is just about John Cho, you know, dealing with the death of his father, I believe. But I think stylistically, both of those movies, both of these movies also like looked at America in a way I found really compelling, really interesting. So
0: that's a great movie. Nobody's talking about it. Check it out. You know, something else we haven't mentioned is Will Patton is in this movie. Yeah, Uh he's great. Yeah, I I guess what what an interesting touch Will Patton was in this movie, because I guess I was a little bit I, I'm gonna be honest. I was. I. I. I mean. I know. Like because I grew up in a religious background. I have. I have known people like Will Patton. Like what you know that level of, um, of, uh, faith. I guess you could call it. Or you know, like that that believes to the extent and with the idiosyncrasy that Will Patton does in this film. I guess I was kind of a, a little bit uh, confused about what the movie is trying to say oh i love i love that character though yeah Yeah. yeah. well so so tell me like what do you think Mm -hmm. the movie is trying to say because i i was trying to be like is i was thinking to myself like is the movie trying to say like that the only friends that this guy had jacob has is like this like this guy who's regarded by everyone in the town as a weirdo you know like and they're they're kind of like they're kind of like outcasts together you know i I was kind of like that
2: yeah, I uh, I feel um, like any story especially about immigrants going to middle of nowhere America, it's like the threat of racism is everywhere and especially like founded by like religious fundamentalists, but it is kind of a twist in that he he's a nice guy. He's a, he's a bit weird, but he's a nice guy and the actual like uh proper church people are are the assholes in this
0: situation. You know, I found that flip kind of interesting. I don't know if I thought they were assholes I mean, I, I want to talk about that real quick as well, and but um, the kids yeah, well, they speci- flipped them
2: off in the band. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so all the church I mean, kids just flipped them off a- and they were all like being subtly racist like during whenever they actually went to the church like is
5: Am I speaking Korean?
1: Yeah, stop me yeah. when I say something yep. in your language. Yeah, I. I mean, I when he showed up and he was selling his tractor and and then he p- pulled out the Korean money that he still had from Loire, I was like, oh no, I don't know where this is going. <laughs> but yeah, going? he's yeah. he he's just so loving. I mean, I feel like the. The backstory of this guy is probably very, very sad. I mean, why is he selling his tractor? Like, what happened to him? <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah. you know, yeah. it's not. His y- you story. know,
2: the instant he appeared in this movie, too, I'm like, this guy has a story. What is <laughs> for this <sure>. guy's <laughs> story? I hope he sticks around for the rest of the movie because I want to see more from him. So uh, good go on Will Patton. Like, he really yeah. sold this character,
0: too. I thought he was, it was a great performance, but yeah, I was, uh, and I think you're right about the the church stuff. Uh, it's interesting. I was reading Jay Caspian Kang's profile of Stephen Yun in New York Times, which is really good, and he was saying how, uh, when when he was young, his parents probably didn't even recognize like the microaggressions, right? Like, oh yeah, yeah when, when yeah, yeah, they're yeah. At, when I they're still have church, to explain
2: them to my parents. Like they don't get it.
0: Yeah, when the when the characters in this movie are at the church, uh, people are saying you know doing weird things and being all weird and saying like hey you know stop me when i say a a word in your language and your face is flat and things like that and it's like um those are things we would call microaggressions today but like to uh my parents at least when people did that kind of stuff they didn't recognize those as microaggressions they're just like wow everyone's so nice you know what i mean (laughs) and i think that this movie really captures that because when you are in that situation you're not worried about hey are these people like microaggressing me you're like um oh my gosh like you as the immigrant are struggling like hoping you will fit in you know like if people are not nice. i don't think so
5: i really disagree with you guys because first of all like those two microaggressions that you mentioned were directed at the kids um not at the parents and i think that monica is told that she's really cute which like Is like another way that like white people like to describe Asian women. There was like a whole hashtag about it like a year ago, but I think that one thing that like I really related to, and Tara mentioned this a little bit, uh, is how the parents sort of like set themselves apart from the white people that they're surrounded by. There's that early scene where they bring on the um, water definer and jacob's like i we don't need this like right. you're, like we're smarter than they are like we know how to like figure this out and i think that was like an attitude that like was like at least like somewhat present in my family where we were here to become americans and like partake in the american dream but at least like th- there are elements in my family where you also sort of like look down on Americans for all of like, the stereotypical reasons, like <laughs> for being lazy or for like being dumb or complacent or whatever.
1: Or fat, like the grandma says.
5: I didn't want to say it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, yeah, like that sort of like idea that. You want to, like, join America, but also you think, like, you might be, like, a little bit cleverer than, say, like, the median American. Like, that is, I think, very much, like, an an immigrant way of thinking that, like, I... Really recognized. I
3: think that's. Well, a good I feel
5: point. like the,
1: yeah. the the little that we see of the of the white people in this town also just indicate like this is this is not a thriving area, like not just Paul and his troubles, which are only sort of hinted at, but also when David goes and stays over at the friend's house when oh, Grandma's man. in the hospital that dad is not having a good a good life either i mean when he shows his teeth and they are not looking great and he just tells the kid like tell your mother i was here all night we don't know where he was like yeah st- what, what's,
0: it's not what's going great <laughs> what's behind that story that's what i want to yeah. know yeah yeah and so. the guy
5: who had the farm before stephen yen right like he yeah. killed himself
0: yeah yeah so uh no i think that's a great point ingu um but i i don't know i, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't feel like, mutually, we're dis-
2: like they, they could be separate
0: yeah yeah, they yeah i don't both feel like exist, we're disagreeing even like i think i think i agree with you but also like they're not necessarily like wow these people are so rude to us you know like yeah i, yeah, I think the kids I think both will grow up cruel. and notice it like yeah uh, the kids like will have. grow up and notice it uh david from the movie will grow up to be you know david from the slash film cast and point out the microaggressions um <laughs> but uh but the parents that like, can be completely oblivious and, and just fine so Um, All right. I think we can wrap it up there. Uh, This has been a delightful uh, to chat with you, Ingu. We really appreciate you joining us. Uh, Ingu Kang is TV critic at the Hollywood Reporter. Check her work out in the criterion collection, as well as uh, read her interview with Lee Isaac Chung. Uh, Ingu, anywhere else people can find your stuff.
5: Um, I did a mini like podcast of about eight episodes or so. We're going to add more. Um, The podcast is called All About Almodovar, about the works of Pedro Almodovar.
3: Yes! Um,
5: (laughs) (laughs) I am really proud of that podcast. I think we did a really good job looking at, like, a lot of the very often recurring um, elements of a master director. So if you like movies, um, consider (laughs) checking it out.
0: No one who listens to this likes movies, so you're barking up the wrong tree. Alright, I gotta ask you, sorry to put you on the spot, but like, favorite Almodovar film? Like, if somebody has no idea who Almodovar is, mm-hmm. and and they're like, T- tell me what movie I should watch to fall in love with Almodovar, what would you say?
5: All About My Mother.
0: All About My Mother, got it. Alright. That's a good one. Um, you can find more episodes of this podcast, the SlashFilmCast, at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from AdamWarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from YouTuber Kyle Hillinger. Check out his YouTube channel. Our uh, weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross. Next week, we are going to be discussing WandaVision. We're going to be reviewing the entire series of WandaVision Season 1 on the podcast. We've got a great guest lined up for that episode Uh, Should be a fun time. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for the Slash Filmcast After Dark if you are a patron at patreon.com slash Podcast, We'll see you later.